everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another special episode of Make Ours Marvel we call the Make Ours Marvel Mailbag. This is where we just kind of sit back, kick back, and talk about your thoughts on the comics we've been reading, your thoughts on our thoughts, or, at our first indication, your thoughts on our thoughts about your thoughts, because we have an email about a previous mailbag episode. Oh, no. <laughs> Mailbagception. How meta. <laughs> yes, it is. Very much so. Um, John Morrissey writes in with Make Ours Marvel Thoughts on Mailbag 12, and... Um, Let's see. Greetings, gentlemen. Thank you for another enjoyable mailbag episode. Here are some thoughts, reactions, and answers. You asked Paul to write back to speak to the availability of Marvel Comics in the UK in the early 70s. And I hope he has done that by now. And by now, I mean Memorial Day 2023, when I assume you're reading this email from me. (laughs) He did do that, didn't he? Or is that, am I just not remembering correctly? I don't recall him doing so, but I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Okay, yeah. Um, now, John, it's only Memorial Day 2022, <laughs> so right. it's yeah. very close to it, or April. Um, I suspect it was difficult over there back then because there was no bed of roses here in the U.S. at the time. I remember heading to my local spinner rack, innocently, only to find issue 121, the night that Gwen Stacy died. As Spidey cradled her inert body in the last panel of that issue, I was certain that she was alive. I was certain that Marvel wouldn't kill her. I couldn't wait to read the next issue to see how Gwen was doing. Trouble is, I never found issue 122 in my spinner rack. Oh, no. (laughs) Yikes. Yay, distribution. The next issue I found was issue 123, The Funeral of Norman Osborn. WTF. Gwen and Gobby are both dead? WTF. Without the internet or comic shops, I had to wait three years to find issue 122 at a yard sale so that I could see that Gwen was really dead and learn how Gobby died. And by then, Gwen had returned as a clone. But that story is for another day. Hmm. That is interesting. I forget about that, that like the whole diamond distribution monopoly thing didn't, didn't exist. used to be a thing. Because mm-hmm. I think as long as I've been, or as when I started collecting comics, it was a thing. Because we had subscriptions in comic shops and all that stuff. Yeah. We never had to rely on the grocery store spinner rack to get our to get my stuff. Yeah, I think the arrival of the uh, specialized comic shop helped to standardize distribution a bit. Mm-hmm. But newspaper racks, I mean, that was – I've heard other stories where that is very much catch as catch can. Now, we did have bookstores back in the day, kids, besides Barnes & Noble. And those all had, like, trade paperbacks. And sometimes they had spinner racks with comics mm-hmm. on them and stuff, too. But – I, I loved going to the, one of the reasons I always went to the Walden books was to browse the spinner rack and browse the graphic novel rack. Mm-hmm. And that's where I bought my first Marvel Masterworks volumes. Mm-hmm. When those were new. Um, I didn't know Gwen died, though. So thanks for the spoiler. Yeah, seriously. And Norman Osborn, <laughs> too. Dang. Dang. Uh, as for the immortal She-Hulk, I agree with Michael. Roided out She-Hulk is not nearly as interesting as bright and clever She-Hulk. And to yeah. answer your question. I don't know. I I've technically haven't read Write It Out. She, I'm just prejudging her. Yeah, I haven't read it either. Um, I just I tend to take my anything is a valid story approach to stuff like that. But yeah, I, I haven't read it. To answer your question, when she first appeared in her initial 25-issue run of Savage She-Hulk, she was not a Hulk smash type of character. She maintained her intellect while hulked out, although she was more aggressive and was much more likely to lose her temper. Ah, uh, okay. Um, the, the original original. 
Yeah, yeah. And I've seen the covers from that where she's like got the torn clothing and everything before she like, you know, starts doing Demi Moore cover montages or mm-hmm. homages. Um, so here's my thought on that. I'm of the opinion that if you have a particular type of story that's always done for a character, mm-hmm. it can be fun to switch things up and do another kind of story for a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we have 25 years of sleek, shiny, clever She-Hulk, take her for a spin as a Roid Ranger for a while. See what happens. And, you know, we've all collected comics enough to know that usually the status quo is returned at usually some point. Usually it is. Somehow, so, some way. So when all your cousins and uncles and nephews see that Spider-Man was killed in Marvel Comics and they all text you because they're worried about how upset you are and you're just like, it'll be okay. Spider-Man will be back tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes they really try to sell it. Like whenever oh, yeah. Spider-Man died, they were so hardcore on getting you to buy into that new situation. Dan Slott would talk about how he was so guilty having to lie to small children that Spider-Man is really dead. Um but oh, he had to. I didn't even know Spider-Man did die. I thought I was, thought I was making that up. Well, the superior Spider-Man thing for a while where oh, right. it was octopus in Peter Parker's body. The conceit during that time is that Peter Parker's consciousness actually died. Well, when Captain America died, it made news, much yes. like Superman before it and all that. And all the people who know me in my life like seriously texted me, making sure I was okay. And it's just like, don't worry, fellas. <laughs> This is not going to be forever. This is just a story. Correct me if I'm wrong, but even back in 2006 when that happened, or 2007, death in comics was still not quite the revolving door that it is nowadays. I I don't know. I didn't feel worried about it at all at the time. Okay. But, you know. I mean, Superman had died and come back. Batman had broken and come back. DC was in the middle of doing their rebirths and bringing back Hal Jordan and uh, Barry Allen. Um, and, and the news runs with those things, too, is the thing. Like, I don't even think they ever intended for Superman to stay dead. So it's like, but did anybody say that when they're being interviewed by, you know, a news station? No. So then just normal people who don't read comic books and stuff don't know. Well, also, stuff comes there's a whole thing about how they never really intended to make the death of Superman this huge media market thing. It yeah. kind of leaked. And then um, why not my, just go with it? Yeah, they just kind of had to go with it. Yeah. Also, Tim Price is correct, returning to John's email. Working from home without commuting has really cut into my time to listen to podcasts. So I've started preparing more lavish and complicated meals than usual so that I have an excuse to listen to a podcast. This has enabled me to plow through my backlog of episodes, but it may cause my weight to skyrocket. And John speaking- Morrissey now has diabetes, thanks to our podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Speaking of Mr. Price, he has two options. He needs to be much less funny or he needs to start paying my auto insurance. Why? Because he makes me laugh so hard while listening and driving that I run the risk of driving off the road. His best zinger in this episode, one that caused both of you to roll your eyes, Tim asked, did Balder dash? <laughs> that one killed me. I always hear Alf's voice when someone says that. Ah! Oh, I kill me. Oh, so much to do an ALF podcast. I love ALF. I tried to show my kids ALF, and they made me turn it off. I don't know that it would hold up for me, but I haven't, I've only seen it, you know, initially when it was first around. A couple summers ago, I found it randomly online. I just sat down and watched the first episode and the last episode. Mm. A, I'd never seen the last episode. I didn't know how the show ended. But I also thought it'd be fun to see how it changed from the beginning to the end. So mm-hmm. you get the introduction of ALF, and then you skip ahead and get the exit of Alf, but like all of the characters have established, all of their standard joke types have established, all their flanderizations happened, mm-hmm. and the Alf model definitely went through some um, 
oh, retoolings yeah. over the years. Until next time, or until Johnny Storm marries Alicia Masters, make mine make ours Marvel. But she looks like his sister, dude. Oh, that would be awkward. Did that really yeah. happen? Spoilers. Uh, yeah. Oh, what do we got next? Episode 129? Yeah, from another John? John, another John. John part two. Message body. That He didn't write that. That's just what the Gmail writes, and I read it for no reason. Dateline, June 1966. This is Mom Correspondent of Correspondence checking in with some reader comments in the issue that you covered in episode 129. I will oh, begin wait, wait, with wait, 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 wait. You know just you know you know what this is? Huh. Correspondent of Correspondence. C O C. So that's the uh, the momcock. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, John. Maybe he can work on that. <laughs> I'll just I'll say that the long way. Okay. Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> I'll say cock the long way. Wait, what? I will begin with a I'd have a momentous impact on my life as a fan and end with a similar nod to the origin of John's fandom. Ooh, John's Ooh. fandom. How does he know your origin? Okay. He spied on me when I was little. It's a whole Item, thing. a landmark moment in my life. To quote from the bullpen bulletins in these issues, Marvel superheroes on TV. Stations will begin showing animated films of five, yep, five of our Marvel heroes in the middle of September. I was born in 1960. Oh, my gosh. Really? So when these cartoons hit in the fall of 1966, I was agog to see them. Viewing them motivated motivated me to start targeting Marvel Comics instead of Archie and Casper. When I visited the local barbershop, all of which used to have lots of comics on hand for customers to read. I used to go to a barbershop. That was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. This incipient fandom led me to start buying Marvel Comics and ultimately to collect them in a serious way, starting in the fall of 1971, a hobby, or is it an addiction, that continues to this day. I was negative four when your addiction kicked in. I was, I don't think my parents had even thought about dating yet. Yeah. Uh, Issues covered in your previous episodes featured letters from then-unknown celebrities. For example, see a number of letters from a young fan named George R.R. Martin in Avengers 12, in Fantastic Four 20, 32, and 34. But now we are entering a period of time wherein future Marvel creators of note are starting to contribute to Marvel's letter columns. In Thor 132, we find out that young Dave Cockrum, future X-Men penciler, was not fond of Hercules. He writes from the Air Force in Miramar, California. Get that pompous, irresponsible, bearded refugee from an Olympian reform school out of Thor's strip. How about just his beard? We got rid of the beard. Yeah, they got rid of the beard, and he's not in Thor anymore, so that's cool, This is true. He doesn't even talk to Thor. Uh, Many fans share my appreciation of John Romita's artwork. Steve Springer, Bronx, New York, writes, Daredevil 16 and 17 were the two best Daredevils I have ever read. There are no words to describe Jazzy Johnny's work. When I compare the previous art to Johnny's, Romita wins by a mile. Jim Martin – well, wait till he gets to Gene Colan. Jim Martin Mm. of – Sepulveda. See, I live in California and all these cities mean nothing to me. Adds, Johnny Ramita is rising high on my list of great artists. And Bruce F. Wonk, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, agrees. John Ramita's artwork on DD1617 was stupendous. I did like him on Daredevil, but Gene's even better and I like him on Spider-Man. So I did like when we went from, what was it, Wally Wood? Well, actually, every artist that shows up on Daredevil seems to elevate the form. Mm-hmm. Wally Wood was great, Johnny Romita was great, and Gene Colan has been great. The title of Captain Obvious this month goes to Patty Elmore from Willow Springs, Missouri. She writes that, I have been pondering something in my grade A brain. 
Did you fashion Dino Minnelli after Dean Martin? Their initials are the same. They both have long, black, wavy hair. They are both of Italian descent, and they both like beautiful women. You may think I'm crazy for research for reaching such a conclusion, but that's what I ended up with. Miss Elmore sure was impressed with her deductive abilities, wasn't she? We didn't have the internet back then. I'm going to give her a little more credit than that. <laughs> John Eaton of whatever writes in the into alert Stan and Dick Ayers to an affront to their work. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Monkey on TV show Dectari rips apart Marvel comic book. The book shown with Sergeant Fury. Stan replies, all we have to do is figure out how to get one of our howlers to rip apart a Dectari script. What the heck gonna, is Dactari? Yeah, we still know who Nick Fury is, and no one knows who a Dactari is. So, I'm wow, okay with this. that's weird. Okay, John, a watershed moment in your development as a Marvel fan is mentioned by Richard Rockman of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. He writes, I am a faithful follower of Marvel and would like to comment on the great job you are doing. I used to think your mags could never get better, but you are still topping your old masterpieces. I also enjoy the new items on sale, such as the Lancer paperbacks and Marvel superhero bubblegum cards. We all know many times that John read the first 20 issues of Amazing Spider-Man thanks to the paperback versions of these comics. Lancer existed from 1961 to 1973, and then the license was given to Pocket Books, a division of Simon & Schuster. That's the version that's probably in John's collection. Yeah, the uh, the ones that I had, because these Lancers are publishing um, black and white line work, and the panels are enlarged. So, you know, in a hundred something pages, you may only have like three stories because the panel, the, the, the pages are split up over several small pages of pocketbook. Um, the ones I had, I don't know who they're published by. I thought it was Lancer, but I never really did the research on it. Uh, they were late seventies and you had an entire comic book page reproduction on a little pocketbook page of paperback book. Hmm. Thinking about that now, I can only imagine the eye straight I'd have to have to actually read one of those things. Oh, yes, yes. But when I was little, I had almost amazing vision. So that's it for this episode from Mom's Cock. Until next time, or until <laughs> Norman Osborne. <laughs> oh no, the next line. <laughs> until next time, or until Norman Osborne impregnates Gwen Stacy. Make mine, make ours, Marvel. Oh, that didn't need to happen in the comics, though. What were they that- thinking? That is weird. I know exactly what they were thinking. Um, there was a talk about the Spider-Man uh, One More Day thing coming along, and the writer of the Times like, well, I might as well do a couple of stories that can get written out of continuity because he misunderstood what they were going to do when they changed up Spider-Man's history. Oh. So he did since past the story where Gwen has two of Norman Osborn's children thinking that it was about to get undone, and it didn't. That, how can that even happen? She goes to Europe. And he was it her. twins, I hope, at least? It was twins. Okay, well, there's something, then. Um, next I have is Tim Price from October 4th. Yep. Actually, before I read that, I think I have over here. Um, nope, just kidding. Tim Price from episode 128, Interview with the Goblin. I hope someone out there got my Interview with the Vampire reference on that. If not, I'm sorry. I know I wrote a comment on this episode, but I don't see it on the website now. I double-checked that sort of thing because I am senile and paranoid. Now it's been too long for me to remember everything I wrote. If it somehow made it through, great, and disregard this message. If not, here's some quick thoughts. Well, I don't see another one, so it must have gotten lost in the internet. The Fantastic Four 54. You ever see that video game where a monk, uh, video game Monkey Ball for the Wii? That's what Johnny and White are writing in, and I can't unsee that. I've never I, played Monkey Ball. I've never, I don't have the Wii. 
Well, it is old at this point. You would not have a Wii at this point. No. Amazing Spider-Man 40, while rushed, it was pretty awesome to see the past stories pulled together from Norman's point of view and showing us readers how it all fit. I hadn't read it before, so this was a great piece of Spidey history. And it's so ridiculous to see fragile, barely recovered Aunt May spoon-feeding sugar, super-powered Pete in bed. Because, sure, you're doing it for her, Peter. Right. The whole thing about piecing together Norman Osborn's history as the Green Goblin in issue 40 is to me yet another reason why I can't even begin to understand why people think that Norman Osborn as Green Goblin wasn't the story all along. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to die on this hill. I don't know what else it could be either. And I realize the horse is dead and very, very beaten, but still. Um, but yeah, we were talking on a future recording about how um, Peter, if he really cares about Aunt May, needs to maybe change his approach. Mm-hmm. And here he is laying in bed while his almost fallen over Aunt May spoon feeds him. Yep. It gives her power, though. I guess Energy. So. Feeds Thor her King soul. size two. Can God make a rock bigger than he can lift? I don't know, but apparently Odin can. Or at least make a death-dealing robot that can totally death-deal the O guy. Is that what happened? I don't even remember that. Uh, he was fighting the uh, the Destroyer. Oh. And the Destroyer was super powerful. I yeah, like that. Yeah, that is weird. Also, I think the O guy is a porn star. Tales to Astonish 84. We got a theme tonight. We guess. The crossover of the stories was pretty fun, not to mention the parallels between them. Both stars stole clothes for disguises. They get in trouble with cops, check out the movies, and finish the issue solo and shirtless. That was the one where the, the Namor and Hulk stories like intersected uh-huh. on the fringes. Right. Namor and Bullet. Namor and Bullet Immunity. He totally got shot under the Puppet Master's control just a few issues ago. Lost blood and had to get back into the ocean to recover. I know squat about firearms, but I can't imagine a rifle is that much more powerful than a forty-five handgun. But perhaps Stan did remember that and thus the hand wave blurb in the issue to explain bullets bouncing off Namor here. His power also fluctuates considerably depending on when the last time he, you know, had a glass of water, too, so. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's weird. I, I don't remember him having, like, I vaguely remember him having to go back to get uh, water to recover from a bullet wound. Mm-hmm. But, like, the fact that he's so much more powerful than that, like, five seconds later is annoying. Yeah. X-Men 24. I just finished reading Jeff Smith's Bones. So did I! With its main antagonist, the Lord of the Locusts. I keep thinking this locust guy in the X-Men wouldn't last a minute against Grandma Ben. And he has a link to the character on the Boneville fandom website. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't know it from looking at her, but uh, that that elderly woman can bust your head open. Boy, reading Bone and 60s X-Men in tandem must be jarring. Bone is so delightful. Listeners. Yeah, it is. Read Bone. Um 55 issues, they were published haphazardly over about a 13-year span, but they are all collected in single-volume black-and-white art, which is the way it was originally published was black-and-white art. The colorized collections are later editions. But um, you can read it. It's available digitally. It's fantastic if you want to show comics to kids. Um, yeah, read Bone. Mm-hmm. Until next time, or until I learn what quick thoughts actually means, make my makers <laughs> marvel. <laughs> See, he's burning himself out. Do you have another one from Tim? I do. Not Comic Special 28, The Incredible Hulk Pilot. Dang. 
I don't see the feedback on this episode. Let's see if I can make this quick. I keep thinking that the Hulk TV series came before Spider-Man, so I was quite surprised to see it was the opposite. But after Hulk and before Captain America, there's one other TV movie, Doctor Strange. Wait! If this was MCU with Spidey, Hulk, and Doctor Strange, would they be building to the Defenders? You wish. Yeah. I never saw that Doctor Strange thing. That's one of the ones that got by me. That one of the Nick Fury one. Was there a Nick Fury before David Hasselhoff? No, that was from that same era, though, wasn't it? The 70s? Or was Hasselhoff of the later? I thought Hasselhoff was 90s or something horrible. Oh, it might be. Um, Another MCU-like bit I hoped for back in the day was for Jack McGee to work for the Daily Bugle and have him show up on Spider-Man from time to time or have to call in from the road and have Peter answer the phone. Considering the kind of paper McGee worked for, it could have been the Bugle easily. Oh, well. That's a great idea. I don't know who owned what or how the, you know, what was legal and stuff, but that would have been cool. That would have been cool. I I get the feeling that the two studios probably never once had a conversation. <laughs> right. But it would definitely would have been cool. That haunting piano for the credits still gives me chills. Wow. Great show, Marvelites. <gasps> Wait, what the but, what what happened until the thing? There's no until. He just There's ended? no until. There's no zing. Wow, jeez. So lazy, man. Just phoning what are we it in. This guy for. Really? Uh, speaking of awesome people, Tim Price writes in another one. Episode <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 129, Todd and Nile ain't just a river in Egypt. I like my titles. I yep. say that every time. Thor 132. I always enjoy seeing characters of smaller physical stature in superhero stories. The atypical body type makes me happy, as you shouldn't have to have Captain America's physique to be super strong or to use Mega Blasters. So it's great that the Rigelians hold their own to a point against Thor. I like that. They're just little guys, but they're pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Ego. Wow. I was not ready for him to be the black, not a galaxy. Me neither. <laughs> I first read him in FF 235, and I knew from Ohatmu, original handbook of the Marvel Universe, that he first appeared in Thor. So now he's here. I'm so psyched for the next issue. Stop using the exclamation points, Tim. Yes, exclamation point like 10 times. I no just re- uh, rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume I Two. I was going to say no, no reference to Kurt Russell. What the heck? Right. Um, different take on ego, but it, I remember sitting in the theater going, <gasps> "He's ego. What are they going to do?" And then they yeah. did it. Totally made a planet with the dude's face. Yeah. Hey, remember when Thor promised he wouldn't leave Jane again before he let himself get captured and taken into space? Such a great guy. She's better off. She is with her identical twin doctor boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Identical twin to Dawn, not to herself. No. My big takeaway from Tales of Asgard is the Warriors 3. This is exactly how these guys always talk to each other. Vandral, huzzah! Volstagg, huzzah! Hogan, grump. Love it. You know, I will give that to Tales of Asgard. It gave us yeah. the Warriors 3. That's true. We haven't For had them the- in, our, in the regular stories at all, have we? Hardly at all. Um, we did a little bit with the... Um, no, that was Balder. We've had Balder in the main stories, but not the Warriors 3 so much. Yeah, Balder and Sif. Uh, but once the once the Tales of Asgard took that shift with the Jason and the Argonaut storyline, that's what introduced the Warriors 3, and mm. they, were, they were the stars of the show for a while after that. Okay. Daredevil 20. I liked it. I liked the owl. I liked the Silver Age-style criminals running a trial bit. I liked the ridiculousness of the bad guys not overly questioning how Daredevil found them on their island. But I don't have much to say about this issue. Wait. Because you wrote a whole paragraph, I think. Because what? Because you wrote a whole paragraph. 
Oh. Strange Tales 149. I don't get how Fury went from meeting Dugan last issue to being grabbed by AI minions. Oh, A minions. Huh? Amians. Uh, Amians. I can read. Thinking he's an LMD. Seems like a lot happened between panels. I think I remember that. Like, they skipped a lot of storytelling to go from one place to another. That whole aim and them and all that, the whole thing is just like, yikes. If you read it in order and try and care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just all over the place, kind of. And like Michael, I was just as confused by Gabe showing up as number nine See? for the Secret Empire. <laughs> that made no sense. I didn't connect that at all. Why is he dressed as number nine and telling that these Amians? Won't the real number nine be upset when he finds out? And when John clarified, he was number nine all along. <laughs> oh, thank yeah, you, but John. Just more stuff that's completely off screen that seems really awesome and just, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, that, that part I actually liked because number nine is doing all this stuff. You're like, why is everyone doing all this? And then you find out, like, in the third chapter of the story, it's actually yeah. been an infiltration the whole time. Yeah, but I would have liked a flashback to how that all happen or you know his point of view on everything or something i don't know it just seems so low yes yeah, like a little discussion of something afterwards he, he kills the entire organization empire and then he's just like tooling around in a car afterwards mm-hmm. like wow it was the most significant thing that gabe jones has done and we didn't get to see his face while he was doing it no i don't know about this doctor strange versus kazoo or whatever his name is it's okay but didn't leave much of an impression. I miss Strange and Wong dealing with money problems. That really fascinated me more than another cosmic threat. Yeah. Same. We're never going to see that. And why were off-model Archie and Betty part of this story on pages four and six? I don't uh, know. Uh, I don't even remember that. The blonde also strongly resembles Dawn Granger from DC, uh, the woman who is Dove. I thought she had white hair. Only as Dove. Yeah, don't have yeah white hair. I was thinking it said the blonde resembles her. Oh, I see. Great episode as always. Until next time or until we meet Ego, the living planet's daughter, Moon, Moon Girl from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur with Illa, the living moon, a.k.a. Girl Moon. So Moon Girl and Girl Moon are two characters. Okay. <laughs> and they're related to Ego or is he making that up? I don't know. I think I think Girl Moon is, is living planet's daughter. Moon Girl is the name of the comic. Oh, I see. I see. I was confused when I was reading it, but yeah. So Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, number 24, has a character, Illa the Living Moon, that is Ego the Living Planet's daughter. That's fantastic. Yeah. Who's the mother? The son, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> Do you have an email from Anthony Patel? Anthony Patel, you guys were talking not too long ago once about how in your reading you first came across James Rode wearing the Iron Man armor and in a different episode you mentioned Claw's appearance in Secret Wars. Coincidentally, I noticed that the oldest comic book in my collection is a beat-up old copy of Secret Wars number 9 where both of these things are on display. It's one of the random comics from my childhood that I got who knows where, maybe a garage sale. Most of my random childhood comics were from... 90s Marvel, and this is an outlier for being published before I was born. The story did not make any sense to me back then, but it was a cool book with everyone in it. Rereading it, just this issue out of context, Iron Man's first line is, the new broad, Spider-Woman, she calls herself, she sure is weird. Then, besides, she's got great legs. Tony Stark, you dog, I thought to myself. But on the next page, it's clear that it's Rhodey in there with the questionable inner monologue. Is womanizing a part of their friendship? I am assuming that Stark will get back to that at some point. It's also the very issue where Claw gets sliced up and recites Edgar Allan Poe to John's delight, and Spider-Man plays with his new black costume, and Galactus eats his own house. 
Uh, I'll take. I'll take this as a sign that I was fated to become a fan of your show from way back. Nothing to do now but embrace destiny and make mine, make ours. Tony. I love that. Make mine, make ours. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I recently read um, the run where Rhodey becomes Iron Man. Oh. And I don't know. It's it's a pretty dark, grim story because Tony Stark has fallen off the, the wagon. Yeah. I don't remember a whole lot of, like, womanizing, you know, inner monologue from Rhodey. But of course, I think I have heard that Secret Wars is kind of notorious for putting a bit of a weird voice in all the characters because Jim Shooter wrote it. He wasn't used to writing them. I love that series so much, though, man. I reread that so many times. That was like the one time I mailed off for comics because you could do that back then. Mm -hmm. I think that was the one series. Like me and my brother scraped our pennies together and and mailed it out or mailed Um, a request for it. I've got an episode of Pulp 2 Pixels, Marvel's Secret Wars and Beyond podcast coming up in my queue. So uh. I'll, be re- I'll be rereading issue three. They have done all the Secret Warses. Mm-hmm. I think whenever they're doing two, they did all the tie-ins. So you got the entire journey of the Beyonder. And they did the, uh, I don't know if they did Secret War, the one story that had nothing to do with any of the others. just had a similar name from Bendis in the mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. But they've done, they've done Secret Wars from the 2010s. I think for Secret Wars 2, I've read more of the tie-ins than the actual main series. I don't know that I, I've ever read Secret Wars 2 from like beginning to end. I read the t- uh, the main series and the Spider-Man and X-Men tie-ins uh, a few yeah. years ago. Like somewhere in the 80s, this this white Michael jackson guy. Mm-hmm. Steve, Steve Rogers with Michael Jackson hair just starts popping around in books, and it's like, oh, there's more. that's the Beyonder. Cool. But I've never like read the actual fight with him. I rather like the first half of Secret Wars 2. Even this, the, the part that everyone makes fun of where he doesn't know what a bowel movement is because he's just got this human body. Uh-huh. I think that's, you know, a fun little bit of writing that is easily mocked. I don't know why. But, um, but yeah, the first half, cause it, it actually does a pretty good job of exploring the idea of I'm a god, but now I'm a human. How mm. does this work? <laughs> right. And then eventually it kind of goes to, Big for some britches, I think. Well, I wasn't wrong about Paul, if that's who's next. Because there um, it is. Paul does write in. He's the 11th. Before I read him, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to read this little thing over on Facebook. It's marked October 9th. Mark Adams sent us a message. Oh, it's really short, though. It says, here you go, John. And it's a clip to a family guy scene where they're talking about the right to bear arms. Mm. And it cuts to a flashback with the Founding Fathers, how obviously the phrasing of this means that everybody has a right to put a plaque on their wall with bear arms on it. That's right. what the right to bear arms, and nobody could possibly confuse that for any other meaning later down the road. Right. I don't know the context that was for, but because I Because your son thought it meant bear arms. B-A-R arms. That's right. He did. You have the right to bear arms. Rawr. I like the right to arm bears. I mean, yeah. you don't you give your grizzly a machine gun, see how that goes for you. Yeah. Um, okay. So going back to the emails, this one is from Paul collecting Marvel comics in the olden days in the UK. He did write in. You're right. We just mm. got a little bit later. We just haven't got to it yet. I must've read it beforehand. Hey guys, I heard you talking about me in your mailbag 12 podcast. Yes. You are horribly stereotyping me. Racists. Saying that, does anyone like Captain Britain? I think I read some, but blocked it from my memory. Was it Excalibur and some kind of X-Men connection or something? He was never cool here. Really? Anyway, yeah, okay. Is that really a thing, though? I mean, not Nepal. 
I'm sure you're speaking to your experience. I just feel like the Alan Davis Captain Marvel stuff or Captain Britain stuff is what made Captain Britain cool. And that was all UK. Yeah. I know his, I know his weekly strip wasn't cool. I know that. That's fine. Anyway, more importantly, collecting Marvel comics in the UK was random and annoying, to say the least, in the olden days. In the late 60s and during the 70s, you could find imported American comics, Marvel and DC, and some newsagents and sweet shops, which would be the equivalent of your newsstands and candy stores, I guess. You could sometimes find them in certain bookstores, too. We don't have nearly enough candy stores. We sure don't. Not anymore, especially. Yeah. We never had designated comic book stores that I knew of until at least the mid-80s, and then only a few. So be totally random regarding what you could find. You could be trying to collect certain comics, and then next month the issues you're waiting for wouldn't arrive. Um, the stories I remember from your podcast are the ones that would have been reprinted in Marvel UK in the 1970s. Larger format, but black and white, I think. They reprinted all the major books in the first issues. So he's talking about two different things. You have the imported comics where they would slap a 12D stamp on it instead of a 10 cent stamp or 12 mm. cent stamp. Mm-hmm. And that would be your comic from the U.S. being sold in the U.K. But then you have your Marvel U.K. comics that would do reprints of the series. Okay. And I think those were kind of haphazard. Like we read a, we read a Hulk story from one, but that was kind of unique because usually yeah. that book was just doing reprints of Avengers or whatever. Yeah. I also remember there being hardback Christmas annuals, which would either be a collection of issues of one book, e.g. Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Avengers annuals, or compilation annuals of different characters. These would be good quality color and usually feature famous or what would become famous runs from the comics. Also remember occasionally finding really big, oversized, soft cover color comic books along the same line. Superman versus Spider-Man being one and Kirby's 2001 another. Okay, so those are the treasury sized. Mm-hmm. And I guess they just sold treasury size editions in the UK as well. We're going to cover those annuals, y'all. We have the uh, first one lined up in our um, reading schedule here pretty soon. Yeah. We'll see what it's like. Again, these usually appeared at holiday times. Also had a couple of what would be the equivalent of trade paperbacks now. Origins of Marvel Comics and Son of Origins. These would have been in the late 70s, maybe. I think they were originally published in the late 60s or early 70s. Hmm. I don't know if it's already happening where we are in the comics, but it's not too far off. The first one, anyway. I don't know. So, random, difficult, annoying, and a lot of working backwards, but totally worth it, like record collecting used to be. I can imagine. Uh, do you notice that indexes, for the most part, don't really care about that stuff? Uh, it's frustrating. It's and, I, and I feel like weird. there's some, Should yeah, there's be. some, there's some, um, not ethnocentrism, because it's the same ethnicity, but, you know, the, like, a little bit of prejudice against other things that aren't right home. Like, I bet I comic, comics.org probably has all this, if you can find it. But that's the problem with that site. It's so ginormous, I can't find anything. But uh, Well, and also, comics.org is also pretty vacant about UK stuff. Is it? Um, okay. Like, their Transformers UK, a lot of those are just bare-bones entries, just to cover uh, and almost nothing else. Um, so, like, for example, our Hulk story was in Smash 38. Uh-huh. I doubt there's a single website online that indexes what is in the issues of Smash. Yeah. I think I was trying to look that up, and I couldn't find anything. Uh, he but that just out- means Paul is not contributing to comics.org like he should be. What can us Paul. dumb Americans do about UK comics? Get in there, man. Add to the internet. Give us your knowledge. That's right. We could eat your brains to gain your knowledge, but you're so far away. Yeah. Keep up the good work, guys. Don't forget to vote and get rid of your current supervillain. He's pumped full of super serum now, too. This was October, so yes. Have you ever, we managed. Have you ever been to a site called... Index, 
No. I-N-D-U-C-K.org. Or no. S. Induct.org. Induct.org. There is an S. I missed it. It's a Disney Comics website, and they are very international. It's pretty amazing. You look up something by story, and it's like, well, it was published in all these four million countries under these various issues. It's like, wow. What's funny is a lot of those Disney comics are super old and would mm-hmm. otherwise be in the public domain because they're published by, you know, companies that didn't renew copyrights or whatever. So like a whole slew of Dell comics, uh, with, you know, Fawcett mm-hmm. comics, all that stuff is just out there. Digital comic museum. If it's in the public domain and they've got a scan of it, it's available to read on digitalcomicmuseum.com. Yeah. Nothing Disney. Oh, if it's wow. a Disney story, it's not up there. Ah. And that's explicitly intentional because they're trying to provide a legitimately free service and not bypass laws. But yeah. And they don't want to have... get attacked by Disney. Right. Yeah. Um, but thank you, Paul. That does kind of help uh, enlighten stuff. Um, I feel like there was a, a question I had while he was going through that, but I don't remember what it was. Why okay. does he keep spelling color wrong? <laughs> Evidently, Noah Webster spelled color wrong, and now America doesn't know how to spell it. Oh. All right. So, um, email is October 11th. Website is October 13th. So, do you have Scott McFadden? I do. Is that next? Mm-hmm. Hi, guys. Thanks for another fun episode. Captain America's Encounter with the Adaptoid is another story that I vividly remember from the old Marvel superhero TV cartoons. I always found this particular segment with Cap experience those hallucinatory flashbacks to his World War II days to be especially eerie. And the moment where we learned that Jarvis isn't the real Jarvis was downright sinister. That was one of the cartoon – that was one the cartoon handled really well, I thought. Uh, I think so, too. That was a pretty good note. And the comic, too. That was just a crazy cool – I remember – I still remember that panel of him just effortlessly lifting him. It was weird. Okay. As far as the Spider-Man issues go, it's interesting to see the beginning of the transition from Ditko's Peter Parker to Ramita's Peter Parker. I kind of remember this period from having read it when it was reprinted in Marvel Tales in the 80s. Getting Peter out of Aunt May's house and in his own apartment is the start of what I recall as one of the most iconic Spidey eras of all time. If I'm not mistaken, face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. Can't be far away. There are some pretty great things coming. It was not that far. Has that happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We have gone from being fascinated with Mary Jane to being a little bit down on Mary Jane. (laughs) Yeah. They sure haven't played up his apartment much, though, once he got it. And I haven't seen his motorcycle lately, either. But anyway. He hasn't been home much to ride a motorcycle. Who's Peter Parker at this point? Right. The same is true for the FF. Stan and Jack were reaching a period where they were really firing on all cylinders. By adding the Inhumans and the Silver Silver Surfer, they've got themselves a pretty big cast to play around with now. I think that the Inhuman stuff kind of spins its wheels a little too long. Yes. But there are some really interesting things coming up for the Surfer in the next few issues. I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys think of it all. Until next time. Well, now you know that I also think the Inhumans spun its wheels way too long and was pretty horrible. But I did enjoy all the Silver Surferiness so far, I think. Silver Surfer's been pretty cool. Um, the Inhumans, I still really like the concept. I just, mm. the stories we've been getting have not been my favorite so far. I do like the origin series. How yeah. do, what do you think about the origin series we've been getting in Thor? That's been okay so far. We've only done like... Three. Two or three. But, yeah. So we'll see what they do with it. But I, I've been liking that. Yeah. Good, good, good. Baby Black Bolt. <laughs> Was that all of Scott? Yes. All right. So I guess next is John Morrissey. Uh-huh. The readers speak. 
Dateline, July 1966. This is Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence checking in with some reader remarks for the issues that you covered in episode 130. I'll begin with readers who have the same two questions as you and end with an inquiry about Honest Irving Forbush. Item. Like both of you, Ron Nelson in Milwaukee asks, Why is it that Iron Man's armor, which is made of iron, is such a skin-tight fit? Stan easily explains that we've referred to Shellhead's threads as flexible iron. It's his own invention made from actual iron, but refined and modified till it's as thin and supple as fabric, while possessing even greater strength than iron, which is a dozen times as heavy. Okay. Yeah, we've heard that, I think. Yeah. It's it's as believable as organic steel from uh, Colossus. Am I the only one who thinks that supple should not be used out of a sexual context? <laughs> supple like, and moist. Feel, That's a great yeah, novel. I feel like supple just, you know, it invokes, I don't know, certain uh-huh. context. Anyways, item. To keep the focus on the great state of Wisconsin, Bill Todd of Madison worries about Tony Stark. Now, why would such a great guy like that lose his factories, eh? Lose his honor and be hunted down like a criminal? Give him a break. Stan assures Mr. Todd that things are going to start looking up for old Shellhead. That is, provided we can fix up his heart, keep him out of trouble with Senator Byrd, figure out what to do when Happy gets his memory back, put a damper on Pepper, and get a new hobby for the Mandarin. You've both been wondering about his plot thread. See, Stan does remember that Happy used to know that Tony Stark is Iron Man. Time will tell if he does anything about it. (laughs) He does not. (laughs) <laughs> Ship him out of the book is what he does. He's married. Yep. And nobody that takes cares. Care of Pepper too. Yeah. It's really weird. Item Sanford Meshkow, writing from Rensselaer wow. Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York, uh-huh. is urging Marvel to become more adult by tackling important issues of the day. While commenting on the Johnny Goes to College storyline, he asserts that there's far more to college life than showing up the bragging quarterback. What's your stand on dope and LSD on college campuses? Ooh, apparently there was no response. Apparently. Item. It seems that the Black Panther's first appearance in Fantastic Four 52 was met with mixed reviews. Ken Green of Washington, D.C. predicts that the Black Panther will turn out to be the first great Negro hero villain in comic book history. Whereas Alan Finn of Lenoir City claims that the Black Panther stinks. Well, he's bad at parties. We know that. At, yeah, because he attacks you when you show up with cake. He's bad at hosting parties, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> come, come over. Come, come visit my uh, place in Wakanda. Oh, and bring your armor. <laughs> hey, when does, um, you know that whole infamous whatever, no comics code on the cover drug issue of Spider-Man? Mm-hmm. Is that 60s or 70s? The decade or numbers? Yeah, like when did it come out? I mean. I want to say early 70s. So maybe that is the response of this guy asking about dope and college campuses oh you're not you could be i mean we're a few years away but um it's interesting how that conversation is still going on the subject has shifted to marijuana but still like recreational drug use yeah in ways that are not criminal and don't interfere with life or is still like a thing yeah um item in closing greg spisak who is in the u.s air force and was stationed in libya africa demands to know who's Irvin forbush You've got to tell me. And no answer on that either. And no answer. That's it for this episode from Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence. Until next time, or until Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch consummate their previous flirtations while Wolverine watches from the bushes. What? What the? That is too specific. I don't believe them. Was that a scene in the Ultimate Comics? Do you feel like they've had flirtations? Or was that just an Ultimates thing? 
I thought it was just an Ultimates thing. I, I have not picked up any flirtiness between them in our readings. No. I mean, I guess if they weren't brother and sister, some of their very devoted lines could be taken as flirtation. But as brother and sister, I feel like it's perfectly in keeping with brother and sister. Yeah, they seem very devoted to each other and very easy to, uh, uh, you know, bite each other's heads off, too, which is perfect for siblings. But, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder. So that's true. I I guess maybe John is in the siblings. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) not his own. No. You got John's next one, Taken to Task? Taken to Task, speaking of. July 1966, this is Mom's Correspondence of Correspondence, checking in with a special installment from The Spider's Web in Amazing Spider-Man number 41. It seems that Phil Fletcher at Georgia Washington University in Washington, D.C. shares your serious concerns about Stan and Steve's portrayal of protesters back on page 10 of ASM's number 38 and takes them to task. See? I thought that was weird, too. He writes, this guy... I was disappointed at the way you dumped on the protest marchers, much in the manner of some politician who attacks civil rights workers on the basis of their dress and appearance without speaking to the real issue of why they are there. You have painted a picture of student protests which focuses on the personalities of the picketers, not the reason for the picketing. If you had spoken to an issue through the person of Peter Parker, you would have at least have enabled your readers to form an opinion about that particular picket line. But as it is, you have engaged in an anti-intellectual exercise in name-calling, which considerably lowers the level of sophistication on which opinions are formed. And opinions of this nature come very close to unreasonable prejudice. It would be reproachful, to say the least, if Spider-Man were to attack communism, for example, on the basis of his judgment that communists are ugly or wear blue jeans or T-shirts. If you can't speak to the issue, then don't speak at all. Enough said. Boy, where's this guy on Twitter? (laughs) Uh, All very valid points from Mm -hmm. Bill Fletcher of George Washington University. Mm -hmm. Stan defends the king-size blushing bullpen blunder by trying to explain that it was supposed to be a joke. He replies, who boy, we never in a million years thought anyone was going to take our silly protest marcher sequence seriously. We just tossed it in for a little comic relief, or so we thought. We're the last guys in the world to be opposed to lawful demonstrations, Billy, and we weren't trying to poke fun at their attire or appearance, not even remotely. Read it again, fella, and see if you didn't possibly attach too much importance to a relatively innocuous sequence. Nah, I'm with Billy. I totally thought it sounded like he was attacking him, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you boys think? Did we all overreact to Stan's joke, or was Marvel caught being insensitive? The latter. I think once Stanley gets out there and starts giving more lectures to comic college campuses, mm-hmm. he changes his tune a bit. Yep. That's it for this week from Mom's Correspondence of Correspondence. Until next time, or until the Punisher squishes Wolverine with a steamroller. What's with the Wolverine? Make mine, make ours Marvel. That probably well, happened because doesn't Punisher the Punisher kill the Marvel Universe like at least twice or something? He might. There was but a I would be surprised novel. if Wolverine's been run over with a steamroller more than once. Do you think he judge dooms it after he's been run over? Do you think he stands up all flat and stuff? Yeah, he can. St- he can. With he can survive it. I tell you that that scene terrified me when that movie first came out. Really? Like that really bothered me. That combined with his voice. Yeah. And this haunting music that we're supposed – there's this revelation that he's this guy that we're supposed to know this entire time. Recognize yeah. me, Eddie? Yeah. When I killed your brother and I saw the chest. Yeah, yeah. That really yeah. freaked me out. Whew. Good movie. <sighs> yeah. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, I think we've got Tim up next. Okay. Episode 130, How Peter Got His Brew Back. Mm-hmm. Tales of Suspense 82, Iron versus Titanium. Dee, 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 dee. Iron versus song. Titanium. 
Titanium. Ah, yes. Crowds and 60s comic books. Look, it's two armored powerhouses brawling with incredibly dangerous weapons. Let's follow them (laughs) to see what happens. Obviously, TV shows back then weren't gripping or violent enough to hold their attention. Glad we don't have that problem today. Oh, wait. Whoops. Cap versus the Adaptoid. Sure, the story was cool, but I was fascinated by the Cap and Jarvis scenes. It's like this was done deliberately to have Bruce and Alfred characters, but show how Cap was not Bruce Wayne. So that's pretty great. Plus, it wasn't Jarvis. Oh, that's true. But or, Cap didn't know that. Yeah, Cap didn't. I want more Jarvis, because just as of this recording, like just the other day, we were covering some comic that had a whole panel of Jarvis, and we were all like, hey, Jarvis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where's Jarvis? Dang it. We need more Jarvis. And oh my God, Kirby using the villain Agent Axis, right? For the other comic book company is hilarious. I had no idea. Thanks for the knowledge bomb. That's fun. That's fun. The Avengers 32. I am not going to write about the Sons of the Serpent and what's going on in our country today. I'll think it, but won't write it because it's freaking obvious. And dang it, we should have gotten better since then. Ah, yes. It's all secular, you know, cyclical, whatever. You know, comes and it goes. We should have gotten better then, but since then. Um, what's his first name? I want to say Ibram. Ibram X. Kendi. The guy who wrote Stand from the Beginning, um, which is a fantastic book about the history of racism and racist ideas in America. Okay. If you want an eye-opener, um, you and the listeners, if you want an eye-opener about just where a lot of the concepts that fuel racism have come from over the centuries. It's great. It's a history. It's fantastic. Um, But one of the things that he said whenever I heard him speak is that as anti-racist ideas grow, racist ideas also grow and learn how to disguise themselves better. Uh Um, He's like, after eight years of President Obama in the White House, I'm not at all surprised, according to him, uh, that we elected Donald Trump, because while all the anti-racism, you know, was growing under Obama's reign, racism was just learning how to play the game better. And it was also growing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Foster doesn't get that many panels in this issue, but I love how he's written and that Hank and Jen just make him part of their group within the group. No lectures or speeches, just acceptance. Love it. Enjoy it while it lasts, Tim. Yeah, it's all gone now. I still get a kick out of Black Widow's costume having capital B's on her earrings and a W on her brooch. She's adapted to capitalistic branding just fine. Perfect those for are, a secret agent. Those are Russian letters, sir. They stand for something. Very mm-hmm. Russian, I'm sure. Does Russia even have a W? I don't know. I have Anyways. <laughs> the Fantastic Four 55. I don't know how I read this issue before since I never owned it, but I definitely read it. The Thing Surfer Fight, Torch Wyatt Finding Dockjaw, the whole shebang. Maybe I've read a friend's copy of the original or in one of Marvel's reprint comics. Still a treat to reread it now. Okay. Johnny wants to follow Lockjaw through the barrier. Didn't we already establish that Lockjaw can transport others with him? Why do we need to follow him? Why didn't the humans just use Lockjaw to port a few of them at a time out of the barrier? I'm missing something. I just got to be missing something. Um, I think you're just missing story connections that they didn't yeah. think of at the time. <laughs> right? They forgot. Yeah. Um, Lockjaw can teleport. So yeah, teleport people out of the stupid barrier. Or maybe they just wanted the barrier guards so they can still have their place and then also leave and get pizzas also. I don't know. 
Amazing Spider-Man 41 versus the Rhino. Hey, John, thanks for sharing that image on the Twitters of Rhino with his human face replaced with a gaping mouth. That was just the nightmare fuel I needed. (laughs) (laughs) I remember sitting there reading it with Keenan and just thinking about his face is right where the Rhino's mouth should be. So I decided to make it happen and I regret nothing. Um, Tim says space spores could be the key to winning the Cold War. Well, gosh, I guess my time spent working on space mold, space pollen, and space cheese was a complete waste of time. No, you know, one has maybe nothing to do with the other. Also, I think space cheese is pretty diabolical. So oh, God. Definitely... That's the moon, isn't it? I think so. It's made of space cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, at first, I was annoyed by Rhino entering via the southern border and getting all the way to New York so quickly. But I realized they didn't say of what. Yeah, so there's lots of southern. Lots of places have a southern. the southern border of new york state right he just came from new jersey right and of course there's a huge wall and armed guards on that border to keep out those dang new jersey people it just makes sense totally (laughs) he ran really far y'all well he runs fast right i don't he ran a train for a while i can't remember now i think Uh, he just ran the whole time yeah Great show, guys. Until next time or until Lockjaw crosses the ultimate barrier to live in New Jersey. Make mine, make ours Marvel. See Ms. Marvel 8, where he's adopted by Kamala Khan. Or does he adopt her? Wait, is that part of that thing or is that from something else? What do you mean? That what asterisk thing? at the end. Was I there an asterisk just, somewhere yeah, else in the message? No, it's from the, uh, from the until next time. It's after New Jersey. Oh, there you go. There it is. He's okay. citing his sources now, which I, I love. See. Thank okay. you, Tim. Uh, what's next? Uh, what's on the minds of Marvelites? More John Morrissey. Dateline, August 2nd, 1966. This is Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence checking in with an assortment of textual ephemera. Yep. It's a new month, so let's first swing by the bulletin bulletins. It seems that Stan is quite pleased with the redesign of Strange Tales that we'll see this month. The bullpen bulletins command. Don't miss Strange Tales 150, whatever you do. We've specially redesigned the masthead to give Doctor Strange equal billing with Nick Fury, and we think it's one of the wingiest-looking titles around. Personally, I have no idea what wingiest means. Then, within the Mighty Marvel checklist, Stan promotes this issue with Hydra Lives Again, a new female menace for Doctor Strange, and a modern changed masthead for the cover. So that's whenever they made a, a Doctor Strange logo and a Nick Fury Asian Shield logo, both big and bold on the cover, side by side. It seems that Gary Buchanan Jr. of Bakersfield, North Carolina, wasn't as appreciative of the subby Iron Man tale that was woven between recent issues of Tales to Astonish and Tales to Suspense as we were. He complains, what's with these interlocking plots between two different mags? Anyhow, Gary did not want to buy both issues, probably. No, he also is probably one of those who complained about continued stories. And I just have to say, all of those fans are on the wrong side of comics history. (laughs) Right. Uh, Marty Nelson of Vancouver, British Columbia, thinks he's in line for the next no prize when he asks, how did Boomerang's disc stick to the Hulk, and why didn't they pull his own arms together? Hulky boy isn't made out of metal, is he? Stan casually replies, you don't expect us to tell you how boomy special discs stuck to old Greenskin, do you? First thing you know, all the supervillains reading this mag would rush out and get some discs for themselves. He's not wrong. That's probably exactly what he would do. Is this the beginning of the end of the Tales of Asgard backup yarns? John Stewart of Lutherville, Minnesota, or is it Maryland? What's Maryland, yeah. Maryland states, 
Tales of Asgard just has to go. I know that in a small featurette format, it doesn't allow for a lot of stupendous and gripping plots, but Thor just seems to meander around for months at a stretch. Given this complaint, Stan tosses the question to Marvel then assembled in with this reply. We'll wait to hear what the various mortals among us think of your soul-shattering suggestion before we put it to a vote in the High Council of the Realm. We'll print the verdict on this page a few issues hence. I'm guessing that the response was not encouraging because Tales of Suspense is destined to disappear in a little over a year. A little over a year is a long time, though. Yeah. I think but they maybe they got a series anyway. of complaints. That's it for this week from Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence. Until next time, or until Mary Jane loses her fight with cancer that was caused by exposure to Peter's radioactive semen, I am not making this up. Make mine, make ours Marvel. I've read Spider-Man Reign. That's what it's called? Yeah, our uh, Spider-Man Reign. It's a graphic novel in a like dystopian spider future where, yeah, um, Mary Jane Rain died. like R-E-I-G-N or R-A-I-N? Mm-hmm. Okay. R-E-I-G-N. Because R-A-I-N and being about radioactive semen, that just seems... That is a little bit weird. No, not that. Oh, no, not Spider-Man Reign again. Wow. We do have a theme today, y'all. <laughs> Hey. Okay. I know. I started it. I, I, I copped to it. It's fine. <laughs> Scott McFadden, episode 131, Mostly the Torch. Hi, guys. I enjoyed your latest episodes. It seems like there's a lot of historic bits in this one. As a kid, I really loved the return of the original Human Torch story when I saw a reprint of it. Being really into Marvel continuity at that time, I thought that bringing back the Golden Age Torch was such a momentous thing to happen. I have also always been fascinated by the Golden Age Torch. Mm-hmm. I think the cover of Marvel Comics 1 is one of those like great Golden Age covers. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I don't think it was a Marvel Masterworks volume. I do remember being in a, a comic shop in Austin, Texas when I was younger and seeing a hardcover book with Marvel Comics number one on the cover, realizing it was a reprint collection of lots of Golden Age Marvel stuff. It may have been a Marvel Masterworks Golden Age series, but... But yeah, that, that, that coverage is fantastic. But it also seems like of the big three, he's the one who gets shafted. Yeah, uh, in continuity, certainly. Possibly Submariner because they replace him with a younger model for the Fantastic Four, so you don't want the competition. But Well, all, all the attempts to bring him back never seem to land and find a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott goes on, I always figured there was some kind of cosmic significance to the issue in which it happened. Did you ever notice this? Submariner came back in FF number four. Captain America came back in Avengers number four. And the Human Torch came back in King Size FF number four. If you want to revive a Golden Age Marvel character, you must do it in issue number four. I like that rule. I don't know if they were doing that on purpose, but I'm down. Let's do it that way from now on. It makes you wonder sometimes, like Doctor Doom fights the Fantastic Four in issue five and Spider-Man in issue five. Hmm. I just wonder sometimes how much that's intentional. Yeah. I've had a bad taste in my mouth about this story, however, ever since Steve and Andy on the Fantastic Cast noted that this story only existed to screw over Carl Burgess. According to them, Martin Goodman ordered Stan to use the original Torch in the story just to reestablish Marvel's copyright on him so that Burgess couldn't attempt to assert his own ownership of the character once the original copyright expired. I don't know how accurate that story is, but it fits with the way that the comics industry tended to treat creators in those days. I've heard that in other places. I think I read it in Norwell, the Untold Story. Um, they had Burgess write a few scripts, I think, as like compensation. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Well, it does seem like a kind of slap together. Let's just use this guy real fast story, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sadness. 
other momentous things that you covered in the episode, the first appearance of John Buscema. Like Michael, I was surprised that he had had such a long comics career before showing up here. Also like Michael, I too had How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way. Yeah. This will come to be one of the mainstays of Marvel in the Silver and Bronze Ages, and his name in the credits is always a welcome sight. Heck yeah. I love John Buscema. I love yep. Sal Buscema. If you're Me Buscema, too. I want to read your comics. That's right. I would go so far as to say that after Jack Kirby, Buscema was probably most responsible for the look of Marvel Comics from the 60s, right up until the Image guys came along. Yeah, okay. maybe. Eh. At least the 80s comics. for me. 70s, 80s, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, Image is early 90s, so if he's if he controls the house look for the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I can go with that. That seems a reasonable description, yeah. Thanks, as always, for the podcast. Keep up the good work. Gene Hendricks? Gene Hendricks. Yum. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. A question. Since before your sunburn hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. You didn't? Okay. I did that wrong. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. It's the Garden of Forever. Okay, so maybe it hasn't been quite that long, but Mike asked a question about the Norse afterlife, and I'm here to answer. There are four destinations for Norse worshippers. The first is Valhalla, which is Odin's Hall of the Dead. Half of the warriors slain in battle go here and wait for Ragnarok, where they will fight the enemies of the gods. While they wait, they fight all day, and at night their wounds are healed, and they feast. That sounds horrible. Horrible. I mean... I guess if you like fighting... Which is physical activity, and therefore I automatically don't want to do it. Right. Well, it sounds painful. too. It still hurts just because you heal. Right. The second destination where the other half of those slain in battle go is Folk Van Geer. Thank you for that pronunciation. Freya's Hall of the Dead. This is a much more laid-back hall where there's still combat and feasting, but there are also more scholarly pursuits. Not every warrior wants to fight all the time. Also, Freya accepts women into her hall, which Odin does not. So far, I'm down for that one better. Yeah. The the third destination is Nastrond, literally corpse shore, where murderers and oathbreakers go to be eternally eaten by the dragon Nidhogg. That's the number one I don't want to go to. I should mm-hmm. point out that as far as the Norse are concerned, murder isn't killing someone, but killing someone in secret. If the family doesn't know who to go after for revenge of Weirgild, then that's murder. Interesting. The last destination is hell, which, unlike the Christian place that took its name and added a hockey stick, isn't necessarily bad. The main thing that souls in hell do is look after their living family and try to aid them where they can. It's the destination of most of us who have this belief system, so it's pretty much neutral. So it's funny that, like, in fiction and stuff, Hela or whatever is always this evil bad person. Mm-hmm. At but least hell, in Marvel fiction. But her realms needs to be pretty chill. That's well, not what Marvel does. Leave? Marvel just does the two. It makes it heaven and hell. So very Christian, yeah, I guess. You got Valhalla and you got hell. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you, Gene. It's been a yeah. while since we've had Gene's voice on the show. I vote for the folk one for me. Folk Van Gear? That's what I'm going to shoot for because the dragon one, no. The constantly fighting, no. Occasional fighting and women being around, yeah. That's cool. And reading books, it sounds like, and stuff. Can they be Star Trek books and Doctor Who books and Star Wars books? I think Star Trek is very scholarly pursuit, so I sure. Think so too. Why not? Tim Price, not cult, not comic special 29, Hulk. I've watched this movie once before, so I gave it another try. Sorry, I'm just a Philistine because I alternated between being bored by the scenes and dialogue and annoyed with the comic panel pastiche. Bixby's TV movie held my attention better. 
One bit I still find cool is the Hulk climbing on the outside of the fighter jet as it soars straight up. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Mm-hmm. And then there's Betty. I thought Jane Foster didn't have enough to do in the Thor movies, but Natalie Portman's got to be glad she wasn't in this one. By coincidence, I just watched Connolly and Labyrinth this year. That movie is excellent. Plus, one of my daughters watched it with me and loved it, so that's a win. Labyrinth is really good. It's pretty cool. Wait, where was I? Oh, yeah, Hulk. Let's move on. But thanks for the great show and keep it fun, gang. Yeah, not the best movie, but I do remember enjoying it more than I normally do. But yeah, more than you expected to. Yeah. Happy fifth birthday? Sure. Also, Tim Price. The X-Men number 25, the big 2-5. Let's see what awesome menace our heroes are pitted against. What the freak? Oops, sorry, Happy. The X-Men who spent hours every day training are bested by three guys with have the power of unfortunate stereotypes. Professor X needs to send the team's parents a refund. Don't look back, Gene. Don't do it. <laughs> Daredevil number 21. So the Owl's Castle Headquarters, built in the shape of an owl's head, is falling apart because it's old? Nuh-uh. No way is that castle old and customized. The contractors just cut major corners on the way to their next job. Contractors are the real supervillains of the Marvel Universe. Hey, watch how you're talking about damage control. Now I'm not a geologist, but pretty sure there's no volcanoes near New York City, active or otherwise. We'd have heard about those by now. Live from New York, it's Saturday. No, God, not again. Also, I hear someone saying that, and then Godzilla roaring in the background. Bottomless pit. Have you guys watched Gravity Falls? There's an episode where they fall into a truly bottomless pit, and it's awesome. I have watched Gravity Falls, so I've noticed in that episode, but I don't remember that scene. So I guess that means I need to rewatch Gravity Falls. And I have not seen it, so I also don't remember. Um, I shouldn't say it, but there was a moment when Michael said this issue has zero Happy or Karen not foggy, and neither of you noticed or missed a beat, because why would you? And it was hilarious. Yes, I love to interchange those people. I mean, you're not wrong, though, right? (laughs) In fact, I should start doing it on purpose and see if you catch me, because really, who cares? Uh, Right. One final part about this issue, DD's cover story to the judge about Matt. DD, I put him I put him in a skimmer headed to shore so he'll be fine. Judge, you put a blind man alone into a boat to drive in open water? Didi, no, I uh, pointed him in the right direction. Judge, dot, dot, dot. Didi, hey, how about this flying robot owl? Pretty spiffy, huh? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Matt Murdock can take care of himself in a boat in the water that's turned on. (laughs) He smells the sewers of New York and just heads that direction. I guess. Tales of Suspense 83. So Iron Man and Titanium Man do the fighty fight, and it's pretty great fighty fight. And I've said, okay, but Happy gets his memory back. Hooray for reversing brain damage. Adaptoid Cap versus Tumblr. Oh, man. I haven't kept up with that social media site in ages, but I don't get why the Adaptoid doesn't like it. There's some pretty cool pictures on it, and it's not that dark, hard to use even for a 60s robot. So, oh, the Tumblr. Never mind. My kids in my eighth grade class said that Tumblr is old now. It's very and old. I'm like, I thought Tumblr is where the Utes hung out. Plus, they went all G-rated, and that was the only reason anybody went to Tumblr anymore. Oh, maybe that's what it is. So, last episode, John probably was joking about, we won't see the Thinker's awesome android for a few years, so all we have for power-absorbing villains is Amazo. Well, there's the Adaptoid right here, and I'm pretty sure there's some other characters who can mimic abilities and powers. Am I listening too closely to the podcast? Well, yeah. And he puts a capital M on Mimic just to make me feel even better. Mimic. 
So my memory is not great. Mm. <laughs> There's so many of these characters. I have a hard time recalling the words and the stuff. And as far as can the adaptoid adapt abilities, I have a hunch we'll see just that in the next issue. Also, you guys better hope he doesn't adapt my podcasting commenting abilities. Imagine how long the mailbag episodes will be. <laughs> Another excellent show, guys. Until next time, or until the adaptoid starts a heavy metal group, make my make ours Marvel, source C Avengers 286 through 290, where he forms a team of giant robots and names it, well, you know, I gave it away. That is fantastic. I want to read comics where supervillain robots start music band groups. Heavy metal. That's amazing. Um, okay, I'm going to take a couple because they're short. Okay. October 25th, uh, Make Ours Marvel Mailbag 13 from John Morrissey. Hi, guys. I have a quick question about Mailbag 13. In fact, I have a question about the mail that's about the mail that's about the mail that's about the mail that's about the mail in the mailbag. Just oh, no. kidding. Bye. <laughs> oh, my As the anxiety. world begins to slowly explode. Yeah. Um, another no, October 25th, John Morrissey, episode 132. Is it just me? It must be just me because of my um, advanced age. But while reading X-Men 25, one thing popped into my head. Mighty Joe Young, my favorite of all the, quote, Kong movies. Why? Well, if you haven't seen it. Or if you don't recall it, the climax of the film occurs when Joe saves a bunch of orphans from their burning orphanage. This event shows the populace that Joe is not a danger when he was allowed to live happily ever after. And so I'm left wondering if the mar- members of Marvel's bullpen also were fans of this movie ah. when they created a similar scene in X-Men 25. It's that was like the opener. That was the opener of that story. It wasn't the main story. Mm-hmm. It was just a thing that happened. Isn't Mighty Joe Young from the 80s? That was a remake. It, oh, was, is there it was Mighty based on an old Mighty Joe Young, yeah. Back oh, when wow. Kong was all popular. And, yeah. And, or, and if you wanted to sell comics, called? you put gorillas on the cover? What's that called, where, how they animated him back then? Like uh, Stop motion? Stop motion, yeah. I think there's a stop motion Mighty Joe Young. And so until Gorilla Man serves as a tour guide for the original X-Men in the Congo, make mine, make ours Marvel. I also, I've never seen the original, but I do like that. Um, you want to take the next couple of shorties? Okay, John Morrissey. John Wilson, you've blown my mind. The first villain to appear in X-Factor was supposed to be the Owl? What the what? And so, until Magneto rips Apocalypse in half, make mine, make ours Marvel. Would that even hurt him? Apocalypse? Yeah. I don't know. He's made of bubblegum, right? I thought he could shape change and do all heal and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't understand Apocalypse at all, honestly. <laughs> I really don't. And I've read some of it, but he's one of those guys. Him and Mr. Sinister is like, and the High Evolutionary. They should all just team up and confuse me, basically. Um, August 2nd, 1966. Oh, John Morrissey again. This is Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence sharing some tidbits from the letters column. Carlos Pacheco writes in from the Bronx to say, let's have Marvel Girl Mary Cyclops real soon. Upon reading this, I thought, could this be the Carlos Pacheco, the terrific Marvel penciler? Alas, I think not because that Mr. Pacheco was born in Spain in November 1962. I thought that's who it was too. Probably not a three and a half year old. Right. No. Who cares about marriage? Air Force Colonel Bud Trippett checks in from Wisbenden, Germany, with a wonderful suggestion that sadly never caught on. He writes, over the years, certain items have been called by brand names. For example, a tissue is a Kleenex, and a bandage is a Band-Aid. Now, when I talk about your mags, I call them marvels, not comics. This is a practice that I would like to see established by all true Marvelites. I have heard that. 
Um, especially when talking really? about Marvel comics, I've heard the term Marvels used as a common noun. Yeah. I went and picked up a few Marvels at the store. I remember a Stan soapbox where he was telling us how we should spell comic books. And yeah. I can't remember which way it was. Like it was supposed to be two words or one word, but it was the opposite of what you're supposed to do because he wanted it to be more important. I always put a hyphen in superheroes and that's also like not always done. Hmm. Uh, John Shuck of Riverside, California noticed the same continuity error, continuity error that both of you pointed out. He writes, I seem to recall that the porcupine was last seen vanishing into nothingness at the end of the Ant-Man episode. He say episode because of an overdose of reducing gas. Stan explains, we're surprised at you, Johnny. Didn't you know that handsome Henry Pym's reducing gas is only temporary effects on the human body? And that therefore the prickly porcupine regained his lost stature shortly after Ant-Man left for a coke date with the wonderful wasp? End quote. So one mystery, the fate of the porcupine is solved. But the other mystery, what was with Stan Lee and his affection for coke dates, remains a mystery. What is a coke date? Does that just mean going to get a coke, I hope? Yeah, I think when soda fountains were like yeah. a special thing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess a coke date would be just be go to sit at a table and drink a soda together. That still doesn't really answer anything because that just means Goliath or whatever was like, okay, let's just leave and he'll pop back up and wander off on his right. own. That's it for this week of Mom's Correspondence of Correspondence. Until next time or until the Punisher becomes an African-American, teams up with Luke Cage and goes for a ride only to have the two of them pulled over by a cop for doing absolutely nothing. Make mine make ours Marvel. I've read that one. Finally. Wow. I know one. Yeah, that, you know, when they run out of Punisher ideas, they always do something to him, turn him into a demon or a black guy or something. Mm-hmm. That was one of those high points in his career. Wasn't there a space Punisher for a while? I think there's a Punisher 2099. Oh, yeah. I liked that. I liked that comic. Um, I enjoyed Spider-Man. I enjoyed Punisher. Um, I think I only read I Spider-Man. I didn't love Doom. And the first time around, I didn't love the X-Men. But when I was getting into it again as part of my X-Men read-through, like I read it when it actually came out in relation to the comics, um, I was enjoying it more. I mm. just only read like the first half dozen issues. This is Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence, starting with an unsettling submission for Sergeant Fury 35, August 9th, 1966. Name and address withheld by request, writes, I must protest the depictions of all German soldiers as cowards or bullies. Many millions of brave German soldiers who died for their country, as did Americans, British, and others, should not be abused merely because their nation committed the cardinal sin of losing the war. Mm. Okay, Mr. Withheld, I already have problems with your point, but okay, let's see where you're going. Oh, sh- <sighs> Okay. As a former officer in the SS, I was also a Nazi. And I'm forced to admit that I was a willing member of that party. However, you must remember that at this time, news censorship was very restrictive. And the shocking and sickening acts of brutality were complete surprises to me as well as to many other Germans. I had the unfortunate luck to encounter some of the men you depict shortly before the invasion of France in 1944. Your rendering of Sergeant Fury and his Neanderthal types is almost Catholic in its correctness. Stan simply replies, In all fairness, we felt we should print this letter, which we recently received, without, although we prefer to present it without any editorial comment. I wonder if other readers will choose to supply editorial comment on this letter in future issues of Sergeant Fury. Well, let's provide some of our own, Mike. What did you think about that? Well, first of all, I hope the guy then later read Sergeant Fury number 51, because that gave you a more sympathetic German. Mm-hmm. And I think there have been issues where, like there was that one issue where the guy was like bloodthirsty and Nick and crew were kind of like, dude, you can't just gun down people. Right. 
So I think they do. They definitely do the what is it called when you uh, you know the racist remarks here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, um, and you know slurs. they're they're fighting a war, so they're in the mood to kill themselves some Germans. And I don't know that it's never really offended me. I'm, po- I'm sure that's just how it was, and it makes sense. I think that the one of the things they're careful to do is is present the German people as being separate from the German military. Mm. Um, and I'm sorry. I, I, I hear his point that we just didn't know, mm-hmm. but come on. <laughs> well, apparently um, he was, I, there's a really funny, I, I don't I'll have to find it, but Norm MacDonald thing on World War II and like how everybody's always talking about how Hitler was so charismatic. He's <laughs> just like, what are you talking I don't know. You guys have to watch it. It's really funny. Okay. Because okay. Like, all he does is scream, right? That's from our point of view. That's what it seems like all he's doing. Mm-hmm. But we weren't there. We don't know what it was like before. I mean, if you're trying to put any sympathy towards the Nazis, there, there was some low point in Germany to allow this guy to rise to power and like be some sort of salvation for people, right? Right. And if you're telling me that uh, you, Mr. You know, Joe Person, as a member of the German military – were then serving your rightful commander and did not realize some of the things that other people in the service were doing in other parts of the country. You were just doing your job because that's what you've been doing for the last five years. I can kind of see your point, Mm -hmm. but I think it's kind of a not all men thing. Mm -hmm. You can't say not all Nazis. (laughs) You definitely can't say not all Nazis. No. And you can't say not all men because there are just so dang many terrible men. And there are mm-hmm. so dang many terrible Nazis. I'm sorry. I think you're going to be in the vast minority here. So, I mean, he could, he could have been stationed to have a desk job or something. I don't know. But I don't know how. Mm-hmm. I think it's just as it went along, you'd have to know more and more what was going on. Like maybe it wasn't an overnight thing. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So this I is think- where that whole becoming a World War II buff thing that I have that I want to do would come in handy if I actually had done it. But I haven't yet. So. Someday. When you tell war comics, you have the people you're fighting against. And in general, you tend to paint them in a negative light because they're the people you're fighting against. Taking stories occasionally to balance that light a little bit is good. But I think it's okay to generally paint the people you're fighting in a negative light because they're the ones you're fighting. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is doing a great job of taking a group that is radicalized and therefore not doing good things, but showing how their cause is very sympathetic. Yeah. Very sympathetic. My, and if you my take, daughter for the oh, go sorry, go ahead. So for the first episode, my daughter was like, "So why are these the bad people?" Right, <laughs> because they threaten Sam's sister. But um, and Sergeant Fury in the sixties is so much more enlightened than say, uh, you know, any Golden Age comic. We've ever any read. Golden Age comic, pretty much any. I mean, they have more morals than that. So okay, to go back to John's email item to ensure that the bullpen crew wait. Yeah, I was reading this. I was like, wait, you were reading this? No, I was reading this. You were. To ensure that the bullpen crew remains on edge, corrections come pouring in. Mike Lemonick writes from Princeton, New Jersey, to say that in the Sergeant Fury annual, Gabe plays a few bars of when the Saints go marching in. This is totally impossible. Anyone who knows what a bugle is knows they can play exactly five <laughs> notes. Billy Gardner yeah. writes in from Virginia Beach to correct the title of Sergeant Fury 32. Midsts is spelled wrong. The correct word is spelled midst, and there is no plural to that word. Ooh. Yeah, midst is like middle. Marvel's having a bad letter column. They are. And finally, John W. Funklaus checks in from the Military Assistance Command, Vietnam, 
to say, I would like to say from my own personal experience, it is next to impossible to fire a Thompson submachine gun with one hand unless you want to break your wrist. Well, that depends on who was firing it, because if it's Nick, I'm fine with it. Because he is, I've read enough '90s impossible. comics. They can hold two machine guns going at once. Yeah, we've seen all those '80s movies. Right, Rambo can do it. If Rambo can do it, I'm okay with. I know Nick that Fury Nick Fury can beat up Rambo. So was that was that blasphemous? There's probably Rambo people that are really into Rambo. I've only seen one Rambo, so I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I've seen way more Monica Rambo than Sylvester Rambo. <laughs> so. <laughs> Me too. I'm t- I just saw the one first movie and I thought there can't be sequels to this. It was pretty great and I don't want to see them. That's I think kinda- I remember seeing the first one as like a older teenager uh-huh. thinking I would watch more and I never watched more. I was satisfied with the one. Yeah, me too. Item, last a 20-year-old Marvin Wolfman. Yes, Ooh. that Marv Wolfman. I saw him at Dragon Con once. Writes in from Queens to the man that Red Skull be killed. He asks, please end the Red Skull to symbolize an end to his way of thinking. This character must meet his end the same way Zemo did, buried by his own hate. If one person will give up hatred of his fellow men because of a story like this, you can be a very proud person, Stan. Just six years later, Marv would be writing for editor-in-chief Roy Thomas. I wonder if he ever tried to kill the Red Skull. I guess we'll find out together and make ours Marvel episode 387 or so. <laughs> and that's it today for Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence. Until next time, or until Carol Danvers gives birth to her own boyfriend, the son of her abuser, I could not and would not make this up. Make mine, wait, wait. make ours Marvel. Carol Danvers gives birth to her own boyfriend who is the son of the person who assaulted her um yes i've read that story actually i have not read that story i've read the follow-up to that story okay um that was in the avengers issues like either right before or right after issue 200 it was around 200 and then when she comes back in avengers annual 10 she's like y'all why did you let this happen to me and that's the story that i've read okay i just lost my place hold on a sec i'll get there real fast there um, it is. Okay. James Armstrong. Oh, I don't have a James Armstrong. Comment on the website. Go ahead. Uh, episode 93, Aquatic and Erotic. Lady Dorma gets suckered into telling Namor, you don't have a throne anymore, offers to help. He coldly rejected her, so she has him jailed, but she felt so guilty that she lets Namor out, but Crane chastises Dorma and blames her for Namor going on a quest. When he dies, Dorma, you're mine. Norma says, no way, Krang. So Krang gasses Dorma into a plastic cage and sent her to die by the hands of the faceless ones who rip Dorma's plastic cage apart, abusing her while the cage explodes. Dorma gets bruised and battered by the explosion, barely surviving. Yep, that pretty much sums that up, James. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good job. astonished for you. <laughs> so what is he trying to say? That that guy makes a bad boyfriend? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, Morrissey, most uh, depressing I, episode ever? Yes. Hey, guys. In episode 133, Face It, Tiger, you reviewed Avengers number 33, an issue wherein the concerns were identical to those we wrestle with today. To quote the unmasked Supreme Serpent, Genera Shen, Chen? General Chen. All I had to do was make Americans distrust each other and then hate each other, for a fearful nation becomes a divided nation, and a divided nation is a weak nation, a nation ready for conquest. As I write this just 24 hours prior to the 2020 election, I am depressed to realize that we have grown and developed very, very little as a nation since this issue was published in August of 1966. Normally, your episodes fill me with joy, but this one, because it motivated me to reread number 33 for the first time in many years, 
which convinced me that our nation has accomplished very little in all that time. It filled me with despair. Sigh. You know, as I was, as, as we're sitting here, I'm thinking about a, um, a lot of the laws that are on the floor before Congresses of various states. Uh-huh. And it's like, there is a whole like half of our country that like views being trans as evil, but being racist as historically important. Historically important. Because okay. all the statues and stuff, and, and also just like it's still oh, going I on. See. Like, ra- I get like, what you're saying. Yeah, racism in country in states across the union is still like, let's do this. They want that flag. How dare you mm-hmm. take it off it's of just, a, an official capital? And yet, children who are trying to figure out who they are and find their identity are being banned from the medical attention that would actually help them to do that. So, you know, it's great. The world's the world's great. I love this place. Well, there's um, no public beheadings or anything, so I don't know. Maybe we're this moving is true. in the right direction. It's just it just doesn't seem like it when you're stuck in it. <laughs> we have gotten rid of the beheading, so that yes. is definitely progress. At least in America, I don't know everywhere, but oh um, uh, yeah. I, did you read that or did I read that? I don't even know now. I you read, read that. that. Okay, John Morrissey reader comments on some classics. August 9th, 1966. This is Mom's Correspondent. The Correspondent started out with a keen observation by an Avengers fan. Item. Gary Robinson of Troy, Ohio, points out that Dandy Don Heck is making a frequent mistake when he draws the purple-clad archer Hawkeye. Gary writes, On the covers of Avengers issues 23, 26, 28, and various other places, Don has shown Hawkeye shooting arrows with the bowstring over his arm. I have used a bow and arrow before, Don... And I know it is impossible to shoot an arrow this way accurately and without tearing your arm apart. Funny you guys didn't make mention of this error, and I certainly never noticed it. Although I also didn't notice the appearance of Scarlet Witch on the cover of Avengers 33 until you pointed it out. So it's pretty clear that I'm the dumbest one in the whole room. Um, I never noticed the bowstring over the arm. But yeah, you can't do that. No. That doesn't I seem, want, but maybe Hawkeye can do that. I don't know. Because he's got skills. But why would he? Right? Like, why would you have, like, it's just outside. Yeah, I don't know. I did watch this video once of this guy who's an archer who contends that historically archers didn't wear their quiver on their back. They Ah. wore it at their side. Okay. Because pulling arrows out from your hip area to your bowstring is a lot faster and easier than pulling them off your back. Have you ever tried to pull anything off your back, like a sword or an arrow or anything? It's It's impossible. Right? (laughs) <laughs> I, I remember this one time I was at a convention and there was a guy who looked like a spitting image of Blade. He was cosplaying and he was taking pictures with everybody and he had a sword. And then when he was all done with the pictures, he asked me to put the sword back into the sheath on his back because he couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. It's like that's I, reality versus movie magic for you. Yeah. Hip weapons are so much easier to handle than back weapons. I mean, yeah. He-Man can do it, but he's the master of the universe. So Yeah. Item, while I'm pointing out art errors that I missed, I'll include this boo-boo mentioned by Carlo, Paul, and Jim from Mount Pleasant, Michigan. On the last panel of page 15 of Fantastic 453, Claw states, Thanks to you, I carry a deadly weapon in place of a right hand. Yet on the last page, you show Claw crawling into his sound transformer, and he has both his left and right hands. What gives? That's my question also, Carlo et al. What gives? How could I continue to read these fine comics and miss so many details of the art? I missed I, it. Me too. Um, can you imagine that happening in like a Star Wars movie or something? Somebody loses their hand and then they just have it again later. <gasps> Maybe Ulysses Claw had a robot hand. <laughs> Maybe. 
Speaking of Claw, item Henry B. Claw writes in from I, uh, from Detroit, Michigan, with some much-deserved praise. I was joyous about your breaking all the precedents of your profession and introducing a Negro as a hero in the form of Sergeant Fury's Gabe Jones. This subject, before the advent of Marvel, seemed to be an unwritten taboo, but now a real, live Negro superhero in the form of Black Panther. This almost had me doing flip-flops and walking around in a daze saying, this is good, this is good. Yay for the gallant bullpen. That is good. Yeah, it is good. Um, and I don't know if I should clarify this, but they're using terms for ethnic groups that were perfectly acceptable in the 60s. I don't feel uncomfortable using them in that historical context now, because even though they're out of mode, no one can, I, I don't think anyone considers them offensive at that time. Yeah. But if you disagree out there in the listening audience, please feel free to, to let us know so we can know to do better differently in the future. Hey, we didn't think, write it. Yeah. I think I'm okay in this area, but let me know if I'm wrong. Um, item in the you can't please them all category, I nominate Russell Bullock Jr., a frequent contributor from Pembroke, Massachusetts. His opinion of the classic Galactus trilogy and Fantastic Four 48 to 50, Galactus was defeated in three issues of pure trash. Wow. Wow. Ouch. That's the wrong side of history, too, I guess. <laughs> Item, the praise for the plot of ASM 39 and the arrival of Jazzy Johnny Ramita therein comes pouring in this month. Here's a small sampling. Mike Glickson writes from the University of Toronto to say, To see the wonderful web spinner reduced to sparring with cretinous clods like the looter and Joe Smith is just the epitome of injustice. But wait, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Romita is the sun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wax poetic, shall we? Issue 39 was simply one of the greatest literary works of this century, according to John Taylor of Milford, Connecticut. And Terry, I don't know, Massick from Joliet, Illinois, adds, Shocking, suspenseful, marvelous. These words are in praise of the greatest Spider-Man super epic ever. Issue 39. Right. And Ida, talk about a true believer of different stripes. Lisa Breadbenner writes in from Penn State to say, The rising interest in psychic phenomena and the proper use of psychic gifts are both expressed admirably in Doctor Strange. Such a wonderful gift should be accepted in all humility and used to aid mankind. Well, okay. Tell that to I, Gary Mitchell. <laughs> you know, for all his psychic powers, how did he not know his friend's middle name? He got it wrong on the tombstone. Right? <sighs> no, it wasn't right. That's the R. It's Tiberius. No, just kidding. I um, named my son after that episode. Because he's you really? James R. K. Oh, that's fun. I, I mean, love that. I, I kind of didn't, but I think about that times. And I do tell him. I tell him I name him after a lot of things. Like, there's so many Jameses out there that are awesome. That is pretty cool. But he's basically named I, after our fathers. But I, I don't do that one. I do all the nerdy ones, and then my wife rolls her eyes at me because she doesn't like when I do that. I have friends who have named their children after literary characters in fantasy novels that they love. Mm -hmm. So they have a son. And y'all out there, don't laugh. This is my one of my best friends in the world. Uh, they have a son named Atreyu from okay. The Neverland Story. They have a son named Kelsier from Mistborn and Bubs. And they have a son named Matrim from The Wheel of Time. I've heard of one of three of those. I've heard of Wheel of Time. I just have never read it. And... um since the father has four names, all of their children have four names. So two middle names. Nice. But I don't know all their middle names. I just know their first names. 
Um, and with that, another meaningless missive from Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence comes to an end. I sure hope you're enjoying these contributions. If not, let me know, and I'll use the time to read more Marvel comics instead. Until next time, or until Iron Man's armor gains sentience and promptly professes his love for him, make mine make ours Marvel. I think John's doing a pretty good at pulling out just salient, entertaining, or informative points. Yeah, when I saw these coming in at first, I was like, oh, God, we got to nip this in the butt. I don't want to read all these. But I actually have been enjoying it, so... Thanks for contributing a sub sub whatever special. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It I like works, that. especially that means I don't have to read the letter pages and I can still get right. information on what reading people the are letters thinking. pages would take so much more time than oh, reading yeah. these. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> two pages of dense text every single issue. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you have Rusty Wilson? I don't. I must be missing a whole slew of them or something the next um, one i have is november 8th john morrissey oh i have a couple of website comments before okay. then so i'll just keep on going here yeah actually uh, three okay um rusty wilson episode nine when a fish man loves a woman movies without a script have you guys ever seen any of the how needham movies Smokey and the bandit cannonball run etc it can be done uh, I have seen Smokey and the Bandit, maybe. Not enough to remember if I've seen it. The only one I've seen is Smokey and the Bandit 3, Smokey is the Bandit. Oh, boy. Just kidding. That's a quote from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. <laughs> I have not seen any of them. <laughs> I should. I should also watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey again. I haven't seen the newest one. Have you seen the newest one? Oh, it is so good. Oh, wow. Uh, you know how you know how third movies never stick the landing? Right. This one did. Except for uh, Last Crusade. That's it. Yes, Last Crusade. And I'll I'll go to the mat for Search for Spock, but that's not the end of a series. Oh, I like, yeah. I like Search for Spock, but... Um, Tim Price has a comment on Not Comic Special 30, Ghost Rider slash Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Uh-oh. I watched the first movie once. And while pretty fun, I have not hankered for a rewatch. But you know, one of the challenges of being a cord cutter, I don't have channels to just idly watch. I kind of miss that. Channel surfing along, oh, hey, sure, I'll keep this movie on. I would probably have seen both of these movies a bunch that way. Ah, well. As for Ghost Rider in the comics, I only read a handful of original Johnny Blaze, but collected the Danny Ketch series for years. Seems pretty rare to me for the remake of a character to have the better look, but the Ketch phase holds up much better and worked well in the movie, so we got the best of both. Johnny's name and character, but the look and powers from Danny. And always fun listening to the Marvel Tears. Thanks, gang. What was the Ghost Rider that Sarah was on recently for uh, My Marvelous Year? She was talking about comics. Yeah, that's what he was saying. He's the, Danny, some, the Danny Ketch one. The Danny Ketch ones, okay. So They're in the 90s. Over on My Marvelous Year, which is also a journey through Marvel, but a completely different format concept, uh, our um, third voice, Sarah Century, was over there talking about Ghost Rider comics. So if you like Ghost Rider comics, go check that out. Um, and last one I have before we get to the next one you have is also from Tim, episode 133, Face It, Tiger. The Avengers 33, so Goliath's big plan was to cozy up to the sons of the serpent go on stage and say psych got it <laughs> yep that's almost as solid a plan as getter god i forgot all about that storyline yeah boy i did not like the parts with bill foster there was such a good friendship and camaraderie between him and hank mm. and not cluing in bill and the plan just for the sake of drama nope not like it nope yeah. that that whole story was just for the sake of drama like Every decision was just for the sake of drama. Yeah. And the resolution between Hank and Bill wasn't great 
later, like two issues later. Right. Uh, Tim says they could have just skipped that whole scene and instead had Bill appear at the end of the story with a, I knew you weren't on their side, Hank. This unnecessary rift just leaves a sour taste behind when I was completely enjoying the Avengers punching out racists. It's a good point. Yeah. The Fantastic 456. So Claus says sound is like the ultimate power. Copyright trademark. And can do anything. Guess no one told him about magnetism or molecules or transistors or flame. <laughs> How can he not know about flame? He's right? fought the torch. And yeah, flame. Yeah. I like, I like being able to take my burning match and shape that flame into a key and put it in a keyhole and have it actually push the tumblers. I think we're you deep know. we're deep enough into the Marvel universe now where saying absolute things is kind of absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Cuz there's a character who will prove you wrong. There is. I'm liking Johnny and Wyatt's plan, obviously learned from last CTV shows. What is it, Lockjaw? The Inhumans fell down a well? <laughs> God, that was like 8 issues of that, I think. It was. I think Lockjaw was just messing with him. Yeah. I'm just going to go over here. Let's go to another universe. You want to go to the to the to the um the yeah. great refuge? Let's go to Mars instead. He knew where Johnny wanted to go. For a couple of pages I really thought Sue was going to get a chance to take on Claw, but no, she has to be saved by the guys. Mm. And I'm starting to chaff, chafe every time I see her or other women in that Kirby scared woman pose or face. You know the one, right? Yeah, with like one arm thrown up. Yeah. Yeah. If I made that a drinking game, I'd be blotto by the end of this issue. <laughs> Come on. Please bring back the badass Medusa. Like when she was a villain, get rid of romance comic Medusa. Amen. Yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 42. This is my first time reading this issue. And yes, we hit the jackpot. Or more like for me to hit the jackpot with this drawing. Because it's great. And I'm bad at analogies. Mm. <laughs> John, I did not think of this story as Spider-Man versus Superman, but that's a brilliant take, and I love it. You've made a great issue even better. Thank you. Um, he goes on to say, my first introduction to John Jameson was the Spider-Man Power Records album versus oh. the Man Wolf. Dang, I love that album. I have not heard any of the Power Records. What? You know they're all available online, too. Mm -hmm. So you have no excuse. You will be hearing some Power Records soon. Will I? If we continue with our Star Trek journey together. Yes. Oh, they have Star Trek power records? Oh, yes. Seven, early 70s. So we'll get to that at some point. So because Mike and I can't get enough of each other, we have been um, going through Star Trek together with uh, Gene Hendricks. Um, we're loosely trying to hit all media, but definitely trying to watch through all the episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so um, I have recently finished Mission to Horatius, and I'm almost done with the making of Star Trek. How far are you on the making of Star Trek? I am still in the cast of characters, but I usually hit that stuff harder on weekends. So we'll gotcha. see. I just got to the next bit where they're talking about working on the actual season. Oh, okay. Um, Strange Shells 150, Nick Fury and the Infinity Horn or whatever that thing was called. A story I definitely read. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. One thing in two of the panels introducing Don Cabby. We see in the background some guy diving into a pool. So I wanted that to be a thing in every panel with Don and for it to be the same guy every time. Here's Don's volcano getaway. There's dude diving into the lava. Ballroom dancing and dude is diving into the punch bowl. People nearby are like, dude, enough with the diving. I, I love that. Yeah, that works. You need to go back and change history and make that happen. Doctor Strange versus Kalu. Wasn't that the big-headed alien from the Flintstones? Oh, right. That was the great gazoo. 
What uh, is um? Do I know who the Great Gazoo is? That sounds familiar. I don't know the Great Gazoo. Mm. Have you seen the bad lip reading Redneck Avengers? No, I have okay. not. I'm showing that to you when we're done with this. Okay. Um, boy, I'm sounding so negative, but I just did not care about the conflict with Kalu. Yes, just beat this guy and move on. Not that I know anything about Umar, and I might feel the same way next issue, but dang, Everett made her very striking a figure. Guess we'll see. She was visually impressive. And I'm saying that in an objectifying way. She was a cool-looking character. Yeah. I just, we didn't, yeah. Umar was what Umar was. Always a pleasure to hear you guys. Until next time, or until John Jameson gets engaged to a superhero, I knew about this one. She-Hulk number nine from 2006. Really? Mine make ours Marvel. Yep. John and Hulk-She were going to be, wait, Shulky. That's the name. Shulky. We're going to get married at one point. Oh. Interesting. And that takes us to your John Morrissey email. Okay. Two thoughts on episode 134. Hello, happy homies. I have two thoughts about your new episode. When a wolf loves a woman. First, has Stan hit a lull? Is this ephemeral nadir of creativity the result of his recent vacation that resulted in him phoning in a few plots? I asked because of the recent plethora of large rubbery adversaries. Two months ago, Cap fought the Adaptoid. Next month, Cap fights the Super Adaptoid. Spoiler alert. And this month, the Humanoid and the Tri-Man battle the Hulk and Daredevil, respectively. Please stand no more large rubbery villains for the next year or so. It's a good point. Well, I actually think you and I are feeling... Um, it's not a sophomore slump because we're on year three, so it's a junior slump, I guess. Mm. But like occasionally, luckily not at the same time, but sometimes we'll, there'll be just a week or a month where it's just like, ugh, this stuff ain't hitting me. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's just because we're reading so much of it, of it or if because, you know, maybe he can't once once he got it out of the gate, like now it's starting to to uh, ferment sometimes. I don't know. Well, not to not to paint the future with a negative brush, but I was reading the website about like the history of Marvel just from a fan perspective. And the particular person running that website sees the 1968 explosion as the cliff that Marvel dives off. Uh, okay. Creatively, just because there's much less focus on story mm-hmm. quality and much more focus on story quantity. Output, yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Like as pretty as John Romita Spider-Man is, we've talked about it much less than when Ditko was on board. And I don't know yep. if that's just because everything was new concept wise or if because it, it was, you know, it was it was uh, deeper than it is now. I don't know. Uh, OK, he goes on. Second is my problem with the inspiration for the title of this episode, the man beast who has achieved the ultimate end of evolution. What the what? The end of evolution? Sorry, Stan. Evolution has no direction, no goal, no approach to perfection and certainly no end unless one counts extinction. Extinction of a species definitely ends its evolution. That is a perfect point. I love it. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing as like, you know, how Cap is uh, the super soldier creates the peak human. It's like, what does that what mean? What defines peak what, human? What's peak human? How do you know what peak human is? When does Who defines that? Yeah. It's a weird way of saying things. And third, yes, I lied. I have three thoughts. I need me a Marvel Legends action figure of the high evolutionary. Do you guys collect any action figures? Come on, Hasbro. Make it happen. Do you collect any action figures? I have not collected action figures in a very long time. I think since I was a child. I have, in my early adulthood, gone back into my Transformers fandom and bought some figures, but I don't even have those anymore. I have exactly one. Okay, you know what? I have some Superman statues. (laughs) Yeah. They're not action figures. They're display statues, but I'm sure that very few people would consider them that different. 
Yeah. Uh, when I was single and childless, I think I had every Captain America action figure, and that's not a brag because it wasn't that hard. Mm-hmm. And I had every statue and you know everything because this was pre-MCU, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got out of it before then, and thank God, because I don't know how I would even try and keep up with it now. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think there was a time when Michael Bailey had every Superman action figure from a certain point in his childhood to mm-hmm. the present day. Yeah. I don't know if that is still true. It was easy because you could just like hold up a figure and go, oh, yeah, that's that 1990 action figure because they only release one every 10 years. Right. And now it's like Walmart and Target have aisles of Captain America stuff. It's like I can't even. Um, I have the occasional nerdy thing here and there, but I wouldn't say I collect anything anymore. Okay, and he finishes with, and so, until next time, or until the lizard teams up with a humanoid Stegosaurus. Make mine, make ours marvel. Stegron, the living Stegosaurus. I know that one. Oh, okay then. So there was another John Morrissey email that was before that John Morrissey email that I didn't realize you didn't have. So I'm going to go back slightly and the curve in Dee Dee's cane. Okay. This is Mom's Correspondent of Correspondence, Dateline, September 1st, 1966, checking in with the survey of letter columns that were published the same month that I was walking down the street heading to first grade in New York City. I love that. I love that Like we're writing his childhood. Yeah. Item. Speaking of letter columns, the fans have spoken and Stan has responded. Henceforth, the letter column in X-Men each month is now known as Mutant Mailbox. This sure is better than the previous title that has had since its first appearance in X-Men 5. Let's visit the X-Men. Okay. I kind of liked Let's Visit the X-Men, but I guess Mutant Mailbox is a better letter column title. Yeah. Item, Ed Dudak, writing in from Wisconsin State University to say, I am very concerned about the upcoming debut of our swinging heroes on TV. I am filled with fear at the thought of seeing my favorites become the object of scorn by all serious-minded TV watchers. Stan tries to reassure Eddie with his reply, the Marvel superheroes TV series employs the basic stories and artwork which have appeared in our mags, but each drawing moves as though with life of its own. Sadly, Mr. Dudak was more prescient than Stan gave him credit because the series is widely lambasted today. I don't hate it. No, I, I've always thought it was cool, but... I, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that when you first see it, being used to, you know, 2021 cartoons, it's like, oh my gosh, is that really a thing? Yeah. But once you get into it and you kind of get used to watching them, they can be fun. Um, and the voices, I like, like the voices on some of those, for some of those characters are so iconic. Like that's still like kind of how I think of them in my head when they talk. Mm. Yeah, I definitely hear Loki's cringing. Red Skull has that mm-hmm. weird, I don't even know. I don't even know who the voices are, sadly. I should look that up, but. There's a cool website I, called, I think it's Google, it'll call like Behind the Voice Actors, and it like has every cartoon you can think of and every character. It's like, huh. I think if I recall correctly, as soon as like the series goes on the air mm-hmm. and the comics that would have been made after it started get published, they stop talking about it. <laughs> oh. So if I recall correctly, it seems to be that they were not too pleased once they actually saw the results. Oh. To go back to John, although to support Stan's optimism about and confidence in the cartoon series, I will say unequivocally that my friends in first grade and I could not have loved it more at the time. And that's why I still watch these episodes with a double heaping helping of nostalgic affection today. They are hard to get through legitimate sources these days. Uh, Certainly they're not available to stream anywhere, but DVDs are like in other regions or hard to come by or something. I think I have them on VHS still. Oh, that's fun. But I don't have a VHS player. So I can oh, look at the box. It's pretty. Mm-hmm. It's very 
They don't, you can't just YouTube it. Sometimes you can YouTube that stuff and it's there. They used to be up there. I, I remember looking at them like three or four years ago and they were there on YouTube. But then whenever I went to go watch them while we were uh, thinking about covering it for the show, they weren't there anymore. Mm. One of the reasons why I never compiled a list of links is because I couldn't find them without like really sketchy, ad-heavy, possibly uh, malware websites. There, There's some – oops. I didn't mean to hit start. But it's like part one of 20. Like they're breaking them up and stuff. Mm. Uh, I wonder if Daily Motion might have them because they're also pretty sketchy. They have had some. The Captain America series is on archive.org. Well, that's the important one. Yeah, so if you want to watch Captain America, you can actually go to archive.org and watch that pretty easily. But the other four series are not as easily accessible. Submariner is the one that's most impressive for having a whole bunch of original content. Yeah. Because there just weren't that many Submariner comics out there. Item, William Fink checks in from my hometown, Brooklyn, New York. Because he thinks that he has spotted a major inconsistency in the pages of Daredevil. He writes, When Daredevil separates his cane to go into action, the bottom part is a straight stick. The top of the cane has a curve on it. But when his separated cane is in his holster, you see two straight sticks. Also, when he's about to use his nylon string, he uses a straight stick. But when he's flying through the air, that same straight stick has a curve again. What's the curved part of the cane? Please let me know so I can sleep nights. They did, eventually. I think they did, maybe after this, because... This email yeah. was from seven years ago. It was it was fairly yeah it was fairly recently that we covered uh, an issue that had an explanation of how his thing worked. Stan explains that Dee's cane has a curved handle that works by means of an ingenious spring mechanism. Yeah, at the slightest touch of a concealed push button, the straight cane end is instantly formed into a curved shape for purposes of hooking onto nearby objects and also to stimulate stimulate simulate the appearance of a normal cane when Dee Dee takes the role of Matt Murdock. However, another push of the button immediately snaps the curve back into a straight-like shape once more. Stan then apologizes that this is all based upon a very complex engineering principle, which we are still not at liberty to divulge. Okay. I think the engineering principle is bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) Item, I'll end this week's submission with a playful letter from Steve Ziegler and Jan Bertoff from Springfield, Virginia, and an equally playful reply from Stan. Steve and Jan write... We've been chosen to inform you of the trouble you are causing and the danger you are in. We have been giving away expensive note prizes for the last year at an unholy rate, and the no people who manufacture these rare unvaluables are getting restless and are threatening to strike unless they are given unraises by their no bosses. If the problem is not unresolved at once, we'll be forced to repeal your no prize license. Stanley replies, We promise be more careful of our no prizes from now on. In fact, we won't never not send none to nobody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for this week's from Marvel's Marvel course whatever until next time or until the Scarlet Witch has twin boys then doesn't then totally does make mine make ours Marvel mm. those poor boys do I exist mom I don't know okay what have we got um that's after the cutoff Masad do you have Masood Masood I think Masood yeah, Masood Shadravan yeah okay speaking is this our last one uh, close to it. we got a couple of comments. That's, okay. uh, no more emails. Okay. Last email of the night. Speaking of Daredevil number one being late, here is another late comment. We can thank the extreme lateness of DD for the creation of the Avengers. Because they already had paid for the slot at the printer, Stan came up with a Justice League-like comment teaming, comic teaming up the stars with their other books that he and Kirby could be put together quickly. Thus, the Avengers were born. In conclusion, it was DD's fault, not Loki's. Until a godlike being restores Daredevil's sight as payment for legal services, make ours Marvel. Speaking of Secret Wars number two, 
I have never heard this before. Me neither. Daredevil being late inspired a rush last minute Avengers creation. That's fascinating. Which is why Daredevil was not monthly, maybe initially. Maybe. Because they had a limit of how many they could print per month. Well, Avengers and X-Men weren't monthly at the beginning either. Oh, right. So they alternated. Alternated. I don't know why I said it that Mm -hmm. way. Alternated. The alternative is, yeah, yep. Wow. Okay. I always think it's weird. I forget that, like, DD came out before Avengers. That seems backwards. It did come out afterwards, but it was supposed to come out instead of, yeah. It was supposed to come out before. That's right. Yeah, DD is sort of the the last of the classic lineup. Once he comes out, there's not really a change in the the lineup of titles until right now. So Bill Everett is responsible for Yeah. It's Bill Everett's fault. So do you have these last two comments from Tim Price on November 9th and 15th? I have 15th, a giant email. I don't have a... Or yeah, I guess it's a comment. Silver Surfer Cosmic Kimbo? Yeah. Okay, I'll read one before that, and then we can do that, and then we'll be done. Okay. Um, When a Wolf Loves a Woman from Tim Price. Namor versus Krang, Tales of Astonish 86. That's not really specific for the last 50 Namor stories, is it? I can't decide, is it really Namor trying to find Krang? Or is Namor solely mad about Dorma being the one that got away and won't let it go? Seems like toxic masculinity. Ew. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Although I like his point that Namor versus Krang, that doesn't really narrow down which issue you're talking about. Right. Krang should have kept... Oh, yeah. And they're both toxic. They are both. Both very toxic. Namor is not a role model for male behavior. (laughs) Krang should have kept his goals more attainable. Conquer the surface world. Maybe start with conquering Glenville. I understand they haven't had a superhero for a few months. Hmm. John says, they're literally turning blue from oxygen deprivation. You nailed it. <laughs> Hulk versus Hulkilla. Hey, let's activate this humanoid that a supervillain created and then figure out how to tell it what to do. What a great plan. Easy to see how Thunderbolt Ross made it to general. <laughs> Extreme squinty glare activate. Uh, yep, 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 yep. So Banner saves New York from the missile and is ready to die and the Hulk won't let him. Oh, this is a thing. Maybe it's already been done before this issue. I'm sure we'll see this repeatedly. In Peter David's last issue, Bruce tried repeatedly to kill himself and the Hulk is just, nope. And I'm sure this is a big part of the current Immortal Hulk series. The seed was planted so early. I have not read any of Immortal Hulk, but I like the idea that that title ties into that concept. Mm. Goes back to the Avengers movie when he says, I was feeling low and I put a bullet in my mouth and the big guy spit it out. Oh, yeah. That came from uh, uh, a miniseries. Oh, did it? And don't ask me what it's called because I can't remember now. But it was like an out-of-continuity miniseries. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was a moment where he tried to do that, and then the Hulk spit it out. Interesting. That also, like when they that's just... also where they got the uh, the uh, the MCU Hulk movie where Hulk kicks Doc Samson. Not Doc Samson, but uh, the Abomination really hard into a tree and basically breaks mm-hmm. every bone in his body. He does that to Doc Samson in that same miniseries, so – Interesting. Yeah. You know, there's a uh, there's a Hulk magazine, Rampaging Hulk, in the 70s mm-hmm. that I think is supposed to fill in the gap between their first series and the Avengers 1. Oh, wow. I've, I've, I know of that magazine. I've never read it. Yeah. It's, it's stories that take place way early in continuity, so out mm-hmm. of line with the content at the time. Starts – the first episode, first issue starts on their date, right? Let's hope. <laughs> goes so. rotten from the, there. the date when they leave issue six and go on a date. Yeah, yeah. I want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I wanted to start. 
Um, now this is probably obvious, but we have this comic featuring two protagonists that reluctantly save the day and are constantly hunted by the authorities and their actions are misunderstood or misconstrued. On the one hand, it's kind of repetitive. On the other, back in the day, it was this, if this is the kind of stories you liked, you'd get a double dose in a single issue. So I think it's a good call. Okay. You know, I don't really think of the Hulk and Namor as being that similar, but I guess thematically they do have a lot of overlap. Mm, they're both, uh, anti-heroes or what do you call it like mm-hmm. they're not like goody goody guys i guess right although hulk is not the king of a realm that he could just go to if he were just you know true get over his ego yeah thor 134 wowie zowie the lasting high concepts are coming like gangbusters we just had an ego debut now galactus returns already and high evolutionary kirby is kirbying all the kirbies yeah will the new men ever meet the animen would that be the first convention for furries? I'd better stop. The world will end. <laughs> the X-Men 26. Speaking of stop, please, pretty please, stop fighting weirdo normal people. Bring back some evil mutants, please. Right? <laughs> Not till Factor 3, and then only kinda. Not really. Oh my gosh. Now this book has Matt Karen Foggy. I mean, Tony Pepper Happy. I mean, oh, you guys get it. <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to the melodrama in Spider-Man because I'm hoping it won't be like this. Ugh. Is he talking about the Scott Warren Gene stuff? Yeah, probably. We're, we're past that in our recordings. Yeah. So glad. That didn't last very long. Daredevil, tw- and yet it lasted so long. <laughs> yeah. Daredevil 22. So the not master planner has a device that can teleport, grab people from any street lamp in the city. And his big money making plan is to power a robot to beat up Daredevil. Yep. Perfect. I can see his business cards now. Masked Marauders. Super genius. You know, I realize I'm not writing about the art much in my feedback, but I'd only say that I agree with you guys on who's good and who's not. So, yeah, what you said. I like when people agree with yeah, what I say. Yeah, perfect. That's the way to go. And great show, of course. Until next time, or until fights the ultimate new man goose. Until it doesn't say who, I guess, Thor. Fights the ultimate new man goose, which is Thor 391 against the mongoose. I never said these would be good. Make mine make ours marvel. Man goose. Oh, boy. You got the last one, bud. Okay. What are we on? Hour six? Let's see if I can get through this. Here we go. Ha ha. Energy. Tim Price. Episode 135. Tales of Suspense number 84. I remember Happy being in the armor from a Marvel superheroes cartoon, but couldn't recall exactly how it happened. This was actually a pretty good reason. Harkening to Silver Age Secret Identity shenanigans, and then twisting it into a legit threat for Happy. Mm-hmm. Stark wearing a plain gray chest plate must be his business suit version of the plate. Yeah, I don't buy it. There's a few ways to no prize it, but mine aren't terribly clever. It's more shocking to have Tony's medical condition exposed so publicly since he's tried to hide that just as much as being Iron Man. I'd like to see this revelation lead to more problems. Fingers crossed. You want to uncross those fingers. Yeah, you don't want to uncross those. <laughs> that 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 caused no problems for him. Actually, it cleared up the whole Senator Bird problem for him. It did. It, it'd be kind of like if Peter told Aunt May she was spy, he was Spider Man, and she just ended up making him more wheat cakes as a result. Yes, or left, that's all. Left his life forever and said, "Good job." Mandarin can <laughs> loved with Jonah Jameson. <laughs> Mandarin can watch anybody anywhere and teleport them to him. Excuse me, but that's hella stocky and terrifying beyond normal supervillain levels. Too much power. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, but let me introduce you to the Phantom Zone villains because they can <laughs> watch you anywhere. <laughs> Cap versus the Super Adaptoid because being just the Adaptoid isn't good enough anymore. Got to be super. 
And I guess green is the color of the super. No, green is color of the villain. But you know, I'm also loving that Cap held his own against the one-man Avengers robot. Of course. That's your boy. Of course. Wait! Daredevil fought the android that adapted the abilities of three guys, and Super Adaptoid absorbed four heroes. One is S. Super Adaptoid actually the quad man? Two, did AIM have a fire sale on power adapting androids? Uh, is the quad man like the tri-sentinel? I guess. Amazing Spider-Man 43. You guys noted how the woman in this issue, how the women in this issue are not just love interest for Peter. I had hoped that would be the case before reading this issue, lamenting how tired I was getting of Jane slash Pepper slash Karen slash Jean slash Clea's treatment in the other comics. And yes, this did not disappoint. Just delightful. Okay, just to point it out, Clea is not a love interest. She's also not being treated well as a story character, but she's not a love interest. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you can infer that he loves her, but I don't know. He has never said that, I guess. Mary Jane. He's only said seven words to her. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, why go out of his way to rescue her all the time? Right. Because he's a nice guy, maybe. Mary Jane is such a total beatnik. I love it. I can see why she becomes such a fan favorite from the beginning. Yowza. That chick is happening, baby. I'm sorry. I don't speak 60s well. You discussed which writer introduced the concept that MJ knows Peter is Spider-Man. It was Tom DeFalco, somewhere in the 250s of Amazing Spider-Man. I really thought it was a Jerry Conway thing. Hmm. I guess I was wrong. I have no I have no knowledge. Rhino is definitely not a smart cookie. Much later in the series Tangled Web, one of the storylines was Flowers for Rhino, with the familiar premise of him being made much more intelligent. I thought it quite good, and knowing the story Flowers for Algernon doesn't spoil the ending. Have you read Flowers for Algernon or seen the movie? I have read it. Yeah. yeah. So apparently that's not what happens with Flowers for Rhino. But anyway. I guess. Fantastic Four number 57. Wow, this era of Marvel must have been a favorite of future FF writer artist John Byrne. It was his stories that first showed me Ego, introduced the fight between Ego and Galactus, and that Doom stole the Silver Surfer's powers, and we're seeing them all right now. Pretty wild. So he just really, really liked these comics and redid all the stories. Uh, well, I know we are supposed to hate John Byrne, but I'm not going to. I mean, he well, did okay. a lot. He did a hell of a lot of Milestones. In my lifetime, he's a horrible I person, s- <laughs> but I didn't know that about him at the time because there was no internet and message boards and things like that, you know? So to and me, said- his Fantastic Four run is pretty amazing. His Superman run was amazing. X-Men run is amazing. He did a lot of good stuff for such a horrible person. He did a lot of good comics. And I said that starkly, but yeah. honestly, comics redo comic stories all the time. Totally. So it's not really unusual for that. I don't know if he redid yeah. it or just took what he saw and did more with it or whatever. You know, right. The Marvel way. Oh, and also in the future, Doom will steal Galactus's power in the first Secret Wars. Yes, he will. That's all to say this may be the moment that truly defines Doom as a world-class threat. Of course, he's always been dangerous, but in my humble opinion, this takes him to a whole new level. Yeah, Doom loves to steal the powers and be omnipotent. That's his thing. He never holds Definitely on to it, thing. but it's his thing. And by contrast, I'm so underwhelmed by the Sandman parts of this issue. He gets locked in the armory, and Reed needs five minutes to unlock the door while Sandman escapes out the window. Mr. Stretchy couldn't have gone outside and caught him at the window. Oh, Reed, the one time you don't think outside the box. 
Delightful show as always. Until next time or until Tony is replaced by six Iron Legionnaires. Make my make ours Marvel. Source Iron Man 299 to 300. While Tony recovers from having been dead because that happens, Rhodey <laughs> gathers all of Tony's closest friends to wear different versions of the armor to fight Ultimo. I read that as all of Tony's closet friends. And I'm like, Tony just has all these gay friends. <laughs> but huh. It's the 80s, so they can't say they're gay out loud. Uh. And they all <laughs> wear armor to fight Ultimo. Okay. We did it, sir. We did it. That was a month and a half of correspondence in the last two hours. So uh, we will come back with another one of these next month. Um, Until then, all the usual stuff. Emails are always welcome, as is evident in this episode. Uh, Tweet us at MakeOursMarvel. I'm at John Reads Comics. He's at Kaiser the Great. And there's a regular episode on the feed right now as well, because we do comics episodes every single blessed week. Thank you all for writing in. Please write in more. Even if we groan sometimes, we still love it. Love it, love it, love it. Write in more. Review more. We just want more. We're very selfish. More. Yes, more. If you've ever thought, I should write in, but I don't want to because they probably won't like it. We will like it. Just write in. Yes. Do it. And there were some of these comments were from like really old episodes. Yeah. One of the things I like about, or I always feel weird about with podcasts when I'm listening to early episodes, I'm like, oh, I have a thought here, but they've probably already heard this thought. So what? Send it to yeah, us anyway. Send it to us anyway. We probably forgot it if we've already heard it. We, we, we can always <laughs> use more thoughts. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.